You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White, and joining me is Miss Heather Drain. Well, hello, hello. And we are here talking about Ego Fest. It's Ego Fest 9 for the ninth season, or ninth year, not season. We don't do season shit around here. For the ninth <laughs> year of the podcast. God, can you imagine if I did seasons? I would actually have, like, time off in between seasons. Uh, there's no time off for what we do in this world. There's no time off for artists. Just just glamour, gruel, and glory. I should have announced you as the Rondo-nominated Heather Drain. You don't have to, though. I mean, you know, it's good. It's all good. I think I think the listeners, especially our longtime ones, they're hopefully familiar. They're like, oh, there's that Heather girl. And hopefully not. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> Mike's got her on again. <laughs> <laughs> People request you. People request you. They request Rob. And, yeah, the, I mean, you two are, like, the most popular co-hosts. That right there, that's better than any Rondo right there, because that's, that's straight from the people. And to be put next to Rob, who you and I both love dearly, you know, for those of you listening, we're talking about Rob St. Mary, who is one of the best guys and co-hosts ever. And you don't need any special chair if you have that sort of a recognition. No, sir. King in the castle, king in the castle. I have a chair. I have a chair. If folks haven't listened to an Ego Fest before, well, I'm sorry, because we're not talking about any sort of particular movie or anything. We're just kind of going to be chewing the rag a little bit, as they say in the Symphony of Slang, and uh, just, you know, getting out there and, uh, you know, pimping our own projects for a little bit, as well as pimping the patrons, because the patrons are what helps make this whole thing go. And I have some things for the patrons in a little bit. And uh, yeah, not a whole lot of uh, new patrons this time, but that's okay. Because it means that it won't be me just reading off a list like I'm at a graduation ceremony. Chewing the rag? <laughs> yeah. I'm Don't you remember that? When they, they're uh, at the the table together and they basically pick up the the tablecloth and they start chewing it on either end, almost like a Lady in the Tramp? It was the soda clerk. We sat down and chewed the rag a while. I heard from the grapevine... That Mary was going around with an old flame. That sounds disturbing. I think if oh, I was yeah. at a dinner, <laughs> people start randomly chewing on the napkins <laughs> <laughs> like that. I, I might have to excuse myself and leave. I don't know. Chewing the rag. Wow, you learn oh, something yeah. new every day. See, EgoFest people, join, join me and learn more new things. Mike, thank you, by the way, for letting me co-host with you. This is my second Ego Fest with you. Yeah, the first one was like a, what, a four-hour affair? I felt so bad. <laughs> it was our Berlin Alexanderplatz of, uh, 
of EcoFast. <laughs> we were just talking about Revet films earlier. I mean, we're going for an out one kind of a thing, but we ended up with Spectre at least. Yeah, yeah. If if not Celine and Julie go boating. We were chewing all the rags that <laughs> You were one co host, Chris was another, and Rob was a third. It was kinda nuts. That would explain. I'm just relieved to know it wasn't it wasn't just like sweet lord woman, shut your mouth. <laughs> So what kind of things are going on in your world, Heather? Well, other than being nominated <laughs> for Ronto. Were you just nominated the one time? Because you could, you had the book out last year. I guess I was nominated for the book that John, Skip, and I have written, the Bizarro Encyclopedia of Film Volume 1, which, uh, if anybody's curious, you can uh, buy that on Barnes & Noble online uh, or Amazon. We're hoping to have it uh, further available through the uh Fungasm website, which is the publisher of the book. And I highly recommend buying the book because that's better than winning an award. Give us money. <laughs> Read our work. That supports us. I believe Kat Ellinger and I were nominated for Hell's Bells, though I think they got us confused and put me as one of the Daughters of Darkness, which is her show with Sam Deegan, which is an excellent show, and I highly recommend it. So I don't know if they confused me and Sam. That's happened before, um, which Sam Deegan's awesome. So I guess if you're going to confuse me with somebody, at least it's someone cool. And I think Kat and I were nominated for the Toys or Not for Children commentary that we did for Arrow. And I think they misspelled Kat's name. They should really hire a fact checker, a spell checker. <laughs> All the checkers. Get a checker from the Winn-Dixie down the road. Just somebody. Somebody to actually help this nomination and uh, the actual voting process so you're not sending an email with your <laughs> nominations. And <laughs> yeah, maybe not put it on a, you know, have it all on a GeoCities website oh, from yeah. 2001. <laughs> The the movie, the Monster Kid classic horror board or something? Uh, Oh my god, it is just so janky. It's it needs some updating. That's uh, that's for sure. Now I I will preface all of this and and what we're about to probably go into with anybody that nominates you for anything. That's you know it, I appreciate it. Like I do truly appreciate it. Appreciate it. I mean, it's always better for somebody to say hey good job than hey you're a piece of shit. <laughs> true, true. And I think it's like anything. I think there are a lot of people that definitely like the mean they mean well and the intention's awesome. Um, I personally. I have a, a problem with the wards in general. And the Rondos have always kind of, I think, historically been one that's been very, very, uh, I don't want to say the P word <laughs> that rhymes with problematic. But <laughs> I thought you were going to do one that rhymes with atriarchal. That, well, actually, that's a better one. Uh, yeah, because they historically in the, in the past have been very bad about recognizing any any minorities in general in the various uh, genre fields, like whether it's women or, you know, African-Americans or, you know, people in the LGBT community and, um, and granted, you know, nobody misunderstand me. I'm not saying someone should just get nominated because, Oh, you know, Oh, you know, that person's a woman or whatever, but there's plenty of great work out there that are done by people that are in those minority groups. And it's not just the same kind of old guard you know, middle-aged, middle-class white men 
I mean, and honestly, there's some good men that are in those categories that didn't even, that hardly never got recognized. It seemed to be a very tiny pool, you know, of people. And a lot of people had issues with that because the, you know, the whole arena has grown so much over the years, which is awesome. So I think they're making strides to try and fix that, which is awesome. But again, for me, all awards, and I don't care if it's the Rondos or the Oscars, it's all bullshit and poppycock. It's all the student council it's a popularity contest. I don't think you can, you know, rate artists or anything creative by doing it like that. I just think it's bullshit, personally. No offense to anybody that loves it. If you get happiness from it, great. You know, genuinely, that's, I'm happy for you. But for me, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to be able to work. I'm greatly honored we are laughed at when we are up here, sometimes for thanking. But when you work on a film, you discover that there are people who are giving that artistic part of themselves that goes beyond a paycheck. And they are never up here, and many of them are not members of the Academy, and we never hear of them. But this Oscar is a symbol, I think, and it is given for appreciation from those people whom we never see. They are part of our life. I refuse to believe that I beat Jack Lemmon, that I beat Al Pacino, that I beat Peter Sellers. I refuse to believe that Robert Duval lost. We are a part of an artistic family. There are 60,000 actors in the Screen Actors Guild and probably 100,000 in equity. And most actors don't work, and a few of us are so lucky to have a chance to work with writing and to work with directing. Because when you're a broke actor, you can't write, you can't paint. You have to practice accents while you're driving a taxi cab. And to that artistic family that strives for excellence, None of you have ever lost, and I am proud to share this with you, and I thank you. So the projection booth has been nominated, I don't know how many years in a row now, and it never should have even got a nomination, because I think the whole point of it is talking about genre, specifically talking about horror, and... I've had many people say, this is not a horror podcast. One of those people was actually me. I think there are a lot of better other horror-focused podcasts out there. Once we got on the list, we just stay on the list. And it's like, hey, why don't you actually look at some other people maybe once in a while and try to get those folks on there? I mean, is that a failure of me? Should I be going on there and saying, hey, uh, outside the cinema is much better than the projection booth. You really need to look at these guys. I think there's a lot of issues uh, like that, too, because honestly, I mean, a lot of what I do isn't strictly horror either. I mean, even one of the things that was nominated, I mean, Toys Are Not For Children isn't really a horror movie. You know, it's more of an art house um, drama masquerading and exploitation film clothing. Of course, I think one could argue, I mean, when it comes to anything, you know, cult and horror, they're not always the same thing, but they're usually kind of next door neighbors. So 
maybe that's why, but I don't know. It's just like for years I've seen people in the community and this includes people that range from writers and editors to like even some of the horror hosts any, every year they don't get nominated. It hurts them. And, and some of these people, you know, I'm not gonna mention any names, but like some of them are people that do really great work. And I've seen things that got nominated in one that in my granted opinions are, you know, like buttholes. They're awesome. Some of the stuff that's won, I mean, I remember there's one year that um, there was an article that won that I couldn't believe. Like, I was like, this thing was, and it was a hot mess. Like, it was not, you know, and I'm objective. There are things that aren't to my taste that I could, but I can still read and be like, that's good writing. It's just not for me. You know, like uh, Dr. Zhivago, the Boris Pasternak novel. For some reason, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> but uh, it's beautifully written. It just wasn't for me. But it's a, you know, it's a good book. I'm not going to shit on it. This article that won though was terrible, and it and it won out against a lot of stuff that was really good. And that's but that's the problem with the awards and anything. Starlight Vocal Band have a Grammy. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like I've grown up having all of my art heroes be people that never won awards like how many oscars does ken russell have or zulowski or hordorowski you know what i mean like it's bullshit it's it's not the community of podcasters and film writers and all of us we live in such a small we work in such a small field in the grand scheme of things you know like we deal with with subject matters that most people, most main people don't care. They don't even know, you know, like you and I could, you know, I could say Shulosky, you know who I'm talking about. I, I'll go to my day job tomorrow. Nobody's going to know who Andre Shulosky is, <laughs> you know, and that's not that it gets them. It's just, so I think for everything being such a small community, I hate seeing anything that makes people feel like shit because I think there's enough things in life. And especially when you're trying to, you know, get a podcast out and you're trying to get an article out or a book out or whatever, you know, you already are having so many things against you. Why, why be a part of something that just makes everything, you know, just makes everybody feel bad. You know, I just think it's negative. I just keep going back to like the actual awards themselves and like the categorization and just like how antiquated it is. Just the, the whole idea of best interview is a print interview. You know, and I think like all but maybe one of them are from literal print magazines. There's maybe one website and it's like, well, what about other interviews? I tend to do a couple interviews every now and then. It's just like there. I mean, I know that the guys from Shockwaves, the podcast, they do interviews all the time and they're fantastic. And it's like, well, where are those things at? I don't know. It just feels like it's it's more wrong than right and it just it reminds me of stupid things like the freaking oscars where people just get so nitpicky about the categories and things and it's just like you know the the oscars drive me nuts too because it's just like yeah i'll watch these movies i know there are great performances in them and then they're not nominated and so okay does that make me the asshole or does that make them the asshole oh it makes them the asshole (laughs) okay good it always makes them the asshole You got to be shitting me, right? This has to be a joke. This absolutely has to be a joke. The awards system, I think, is antiquated, but then the approach to it becomes even more antiquated, and it's just, and not in a cool vintage way, but sort of in an oldie moldy, dusty kind of way. Yeah, I mean, there's so many great podcasts that have great interviews. There's also great website interviews. I mean, I've conducted a number of interviews over the years, and I think only one of them was for print. <laughs> you know, everything else was online. 
And also, like, I don't know, this is this is me admittedly just kind of bitching. Of all the figures in cult film, why Rondo Hatton? Like, this poor man was in, what, three movies? Max? Like, he wasn't in a lot. And he was mainly known because he had Acro Malagi? Am I saying that right? That's, I'm making it sound like some kind of sandwich you get in Philadelphia. I think it might be acromeglia. Acromegaly is actually quite a rare disease occurring about 3.5 patients per million per year. And it's caused by growth hormone production by a pituitary tumor. The symptoms of acromegaly can be subtle and very slow in onset. And those include changes in the sizes of your hands and your feet, as well as facial features, which include enlargement of the nose, protrusion of the jaw, something we call frontal bossing, which is enlargement of the brow bone. The issues with acromegaly are that the disease oftentimes comes on slowly over a period of years. So even though we can normalize the hormone in the long haul, some of the um, symptoms and signs of acromegaly are not reversible, including the bony changes that occur. But you know, like he had this, this unfortunate health issue that made his face kind of disformed looking. And he was put in these kind of schlocky movies. And that's it. Like this poor man, like, you know, like, hasn't he been through enough? Can't we let his ghost rest in peace? Rondo hat? Why Rondo? You know, why not Beverly Garland? See, maybe I would be a little more proud of being nominated if I won a, like, a Beverly Garland award. Because <laughs> she's fantastic. But she actually had a solid career, too, like in cult film and, and, a, and a career because she was, you know, a great actress and vivacious, not just because, you know, you know, hey, this person's physically deformed. Let's, you know, exploit that. You know, and then you got stuff like Parasite winning Best Picture. Why not something like a classic like uh, Gone with the Wind, you know? By the way, how bad were the Academy Awards this year? Did you see it? And the winner is a movie from South Korea. What the hell was that all about? We got enough problems with South Korea with trade. On top of it, they give him the best movie of the year. Was it good? I don't know. You know, I'm looking for like, where, where, let's get Gone with the Wind. Can we get like Gone with the Wind back, please? The winner is from South Korea. I thought it was best foreign film, right? Best foreign movie. No, it was the button. Did this ever happen before? Here's the problem I have with Parasite winning Best Picture. It already was nominated and won for Best Foreign Film. So if Best Foreign Film is the equivalent to Best Picture for the foreign films, why is it then allowed to be nominated for Best Picture? I'm so surprised that Trump didn't name check uh, fucking Birth of a Nation. He probably thinks that si the silent film era happened in the 50s, so who knows? Like There was such xenophobia around Parasite even being nominated, much less winning for things. It was so crazy. I mean, I think that Robert Wall might have unfriended me because I called him out for being kind of racist when he was making a, a comment about the cast of uh, Parasite winning the SAG Award. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what the hell is wrong with people? Like, that's just, I just want to go on a big old, to quote my friend Keith, a big old Franco Nero bitch slapping, like, festival with people. Like, come on, stop being a dick, stop being racist. <laughs> like, come on, like, I, it's 2020, you would, you would hope and think 
I mean, naively, because obviously, look at, look at the political situation uh, both us and the, the UK are going through. You would think, okay, a foreign film winning, fuck it, a. It, it's you know, a great movie is a great movie. Who cares where it's from? Who cares if it's in a foreign language? You know, there's something called reading. I prefer subtitles. Like, it's not that big of a deal, you know. But even if you don't like to read subtitles, why? I don't know. It's just like, God, people are so stupid. And the fact that Robert Wall, of all people, that's that's been the weirdest thing about the past few years is just the, the celebrities that have kind of outed themselves as <laughs> crazy conservative. and Because some of them are ones that initially... Like, I remember a time and place when I loved James Woods. I was like, James Woods is in this? He's a great actor. Now I see him, I'm like, oh shit, that cheese slid off that cracker big time. Like, he's, oh, he's terrible. <laughs> I know him, John Voight. I mean, ugh. Uh, I mean, Voight's movies from the 70s and even in the 80s. I, I love his Cornball Fest and Anaconda. I, him with that whole crappy accent, just calling people baby bird and stuff. Just like <laughs> fucking A. It's just so good. And now he's a lunatic. Oh, God. Robert Davi? Oh, God. That makes me so sad. That one breaks my heart. I gotta say. Like, I... Yeah, because I love Davi, and he's one of those guys. He's like Wings Hauser. He's a gift in everything. Like, it doesn't matter role, how big it is, how small it is, how big the movie is, how small. He's fucking great. And I imagine he's still great as long as you... He's probably one of those people, as long as you don't talk about politics with... Like, yeah, this guy's really cool. Like, oh, you, he did a lounge album. Cool. What was that about Trump? <laughs> right. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Robert Wool, of all people. God, I don't know. I mean, Wool, because he's not a funny person who thinks he's a funny person, he might have been making a joke because he was talking about SAG rules and all this. And I was just like, well, you are probably a member of SAG. So, because his whole thing was. Was it was it even right that they won this SAG award? Are they members of SAG? And I'm just like, okay, well, that seems... And I didn't call him out for racism. I actually called him out for xenophobia. And I was like, that's a little xenophobic. And he's like, well, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen, if you're a member of SAG, why don't you look into the rules? Why don't you call your guild representative and actually find out how they won if you are that concerned about the cast of Parasite winning this award? Instead of just being happy for them. It's not like you're up for an award, Robert. I mean, Cobb was a long fucking time ago. Award nominee, Robert Wool. I just hope to God I don't find out Brian Benben's a flat earther or anything. Like, that'll, <laughs> I'll never be able to watch Dream On again. I know I'm just making some listeners super mad. Like, I posted that thing, that thing of Trump talking about Parasite a couple weeks ago. I posted that with just the one word, imbecile, uh, in the the projection booth facebook group and i had one guy uh, who was just like dude you gotta separate your politics from the podcast and I'm like what the fuck are you even talking about <laughs> it's like we all live in this world and i'm sorry but i can't even say from a few years ago till probably 20 years from now there are going to be movies that are addressing the political situation that we are in right now but even things that came out before that, you could just make so many parallels, 1984, to what's <laughs> happening right now. And it's just like, come on, you have to be able to talk about these things. I hate it so much when people say shit like that, because, 
you know, first of all, it's your podcast. You can talk about whatever you want on it. Like this is, you know, like this is your format. This is your baby. You can do whatever you want. Also, I think one can argue, and I think very successfully, that most most art and, and means of creative expression are inherently political. Like the moment you put yourself out there in a bold way, that is political. Even if you're not trying to be political, like not to. Okay, this is a cheese ball move on my part, but I can't help it. I love the band Rush, and that that may be my biggest hot take in this because Rush apparently are very polarizing. But you know, there's a whole lot. Like, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Art is political. That's to say, like, oh, well, don't talk about that. Why are you being such a baby? I no offense to the guy that said I'm not trying to attack him, but. You're right. This is our, this is the planet we're living in. The planet's literally on fucking fire right now. Calling Trump an imbecile, A, it's accurate. <laughs> Where's the lie? But also, like, it's your expression. It's your opinion. Like, if somebody, they don't, it's not like you're putting a gun to their head being like, come on, you're going to fucking listen to my show. Come on, do it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, everybody has a, a, a choice to make. Like, I choose not to watch the show Glee. For very good reason. For very good reason, because I'm good. I said no, Glee, but I don't, but, but I just don't do it. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you don't want to listen to something, that's fine, or watch something, fine. But don't make such a big to do and be such a baby about it where you're like, oh, oh, I don't like it. Like, don't, just don't do it. Like, there's plenty of shit I don't like and I don't deal with it. And that's why you don't see me online being like, oh, I can't believe they did this to He Man or whatever the fuck. Out of everybody in the United States of the motherfucking America, how many people actually fucking seen Parasite? Can someone please raise your goddamn hand and tell me, for the love of Christ, how many fucking people in the United States of the motherfucking America saw Parasite? Let's have a better woke agenda and let's go full fucking woke and let's give Parasite, the first fucking thing they said, Parasite, the first foreign language movie that ever win best picture. Well, I'm pat yourself on the fucking back, Academy. Go pat your woke ass fucking selves on the fucking back. When people start throwing around woke like it's an insult and things, it's just like, oh my god. It is just, oh, how can that lady on the Mandalorian know how to shoot a gun? Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh my god, really? What are you doing? Stop it. It is scientific fact that us ovary bearers have problems with firearms. <laughs> it's maddening because sometimes, like, you see some of the stuff that people say and complain about. And do you ever, like, kind of, like, have to, like, doubt your sanity for a second and be like, am I just stuck in the most ridiculous fever dream like are people really saying this shit <laughs> like how do you feed yourselves how do you how do you get through your life being so and i mean i'm an artist i'm sensitive as shit i think you have a t-shirt that says that oh my god i, I need this shirt in my life right now <laughs> <laughs> but it's like how do they i can't even fathom like i, I remember talking about this with um with cat one time I'm surrounded sometimes by people that are big comic book fans and science fiction fans, which is cool. There's comic books. To, I love Alan Moore. There's sci-fi. I absolutely love. I have a picture of Harlan Ellison as my lock screen on my phone right now. I feel like those kind of sci-fi fans are the ones that are arguing over like, uh, well, Luke Skywalker would never do that. Like, you guys know he's not real. I don't know how to break it to y'all. You can calm down right now. I just solved all your problems. 
Yeah, I think the worst part about that comment was that the guy compared me to Josh Hadley. Poor Josh. It's like, come on. <laughs> I hate it. I just hate it so much when people say, like, oh, don't, don't do. Nobody has the right to say that to anybody. There was one review I got a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was a few months ago, where it was just like, the show changed in 2016, and Mike became this big Trump hater. And I'm just like, you know, we have been political from day one. You know, like, you can't talk about solo without getting into politics. I'm sorry. You can't talk about solo without talking about fascism and World War II and where Italy was at and just all of these things. I mean, this whole theme that I'm doing this early part of the year of 1969, so much of that is built upon what happened in 1968. Where was the world in 1969? And so almost all of these discussions that we're having are political. Some of them we tie to today's politics, but Almost all of them, we talk about what was going on in 1969, what had happened in 1968 that caused these movies to be the way that they are. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, you know, there's always that, that saying that art is, is essentially a mirror. And that's something, anything created is kind of, there's an element of it that's reflecting what is going on. Uh, not just with the artist, but obviously the country, the culture, the time period, etc. And so for somebody to say, well, oh, don't be political. Well, that's impossible. It's literally impossible. Because even, 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 like, even films that are fluff, or viewed as fluff, you could still, that. I mean, the 80s, in general, I mean, almost every popular movie in the 80s is a reflection of the Reagan era in some form or fashion. So you have to talk about it. And for, for you not to talk about it is, is putting your head, head in the sands. You even look at something like Night of the Comet, and it's just like, okay, yeah, that is squarely in this whole idea of nuclear annihilation. Even though it's not nuclear annihilation, it's a comet. But there's a lot of stuff to be talked about in this particular thing, about the trust of authority, all of these kind of things. You can just pick any, you know, we've talked about, like, Night of the Creeps. There's so many things that you can talk about. I mean, horror especially is such a great way to look at the temperature of the time. Absolutely. I mean, look at how many, you know, know 50s 1950s like big monster movies we had that were basically created out of atomic fear and cold war fear too you know like with evasion the body snatchers and you know but to me that's the that's where it gets discussion gets fun because it's you know you know even films that sometimes get dismissed sometimes it's the films that especially get dismissed in their initial run it's just oh this is just campy or cheesy or whatever you end up finding all these layers of like oh wait no 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 there's some good meat here (laughs) there's some good good stuff and that's exciting i mean why listen to a film discussion and not want it to get a little political when it's like that i mean if it's you know because that's the thing like your show has never and you have never been like it's never just like rhetoric go go it's always intelligent discussion you always get experts in the field and me sometimes <laughs> and like you know but you get like a great mix of people and it's always a good discussion like i'm of all the podcast stuff i've done i'm always like in some ways the most proud of being attached to the projection booth because it's a great show and you're very kind for having me on it <laughs> well i always try to surround myself with people that i consider to be smarter than myself so that i can hear from them 
you know, just have a little foot in these discussions and be able to at least try to elevate myself to their level. Those are some of the greatest things. Those are some of the things that I love about the show the, the most is just what the show is, is the discussion and just being able to bring together all these different people and different points of view. And so far, I've been pretty darn lucky when it comes to the results of that. I mean, I've had a few duds, of course, but for the most part, having those, like I always describe them as little cocktail parties and getting these people together and just like, okay, just this afternoon, having Sam Deegan and Jonathan Owen talking about Jacques Rivette. I mean, I barely said anything because I couldn't add anything to the, to the discussion because they were so insightful on things. And I'm just like, wow, I'm really glad to just be listening to this. And just like, I'm hoping the folks at home, I was sitting there nodding my head and like, mm-hmm, oh, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I can imagine like Sam and Jonathan by on Rivette. That's, that's like a, a Whitman sampler of the best variety right there. I love it. Yeah, no, that's, but that's the fun thing. It's like discussions. Good. I, I wish more people would be open to that in general in life because that is how we solve problems. That is how we can find a better resolution to so much, so many of the problems on the, on this planet. If more people discussed with each other instead of either ignoring each other or talking at each other, like, just so much of our, our ails as a species, some of a lot of it boils down to communication breakdown. And now I have that Led Zeppelin song in my head. <laughs> there have been times where I've been wanting to do episodes of about movies that are or could be considered controversial as far as people that just hate a particular film and then be like, okay, cool. Why do you hate this? Or why do you love this? You know, it it would be great. Like I really like the film fight club and I know a lot of people just absolutely hate that movie. And it's just like, cool, come on the show. Let's talk about this. And I'm not going to attack you for hating this movie. And I would hope you wouldn't attack me for liking it. Let's just discuss this. Why, why do you feel this way? Cause I want to, I'm very interested. And I, think as long as the other person is open to it, we can have a really good discussion. You know, one of my favorite uh, episodes that we've done so far was on Near Dark, where I don't really like that movie, but Ed Pettit loves that movie, and Rob was kind of like neutral on the movie, and I'm on the other side. I'm just like, this is great. We're having a wonderful discussion. Nobody's calling every, anybody an asshole. <laughs> and we're just like, okay, well, why do you like it? Well, how about this? How did this strike you? Well, take, take this little aspect of this, you know? And it wasn't like Ed was just sitting there trying to convince me that I'm wrong. It was just like, I really like this thing, and we would talk about these things, and it was just one of the best discussions I've ever had. And I love stuff like that. And for the record, I'm a massive Near Dark fan. <laughs> I well, love- it's got one of the, well, I can't say one of the best actors. It, got, it has so many great actors in there between Henriksen and Jeanette Goldstein. The Paxton. And fucking Bill Paxton, uh, man. You can't get better than that. All the cartoon hearts are above my head right now just thinking about that movie. <laughs> like, I love it so much. But that's, but that's the thing, like, when you have adults in a room and who respect each other, you know, it's all good. Like, you know, I adore you and I respect you fiercely and it's okay if you don't like it. Like that's, I wish more people would realize that, like just be an adult about stuff. Like it's okay. Like, in fact, 
why would anybody want to be at a cocktail party where everybody's exactly the same and everybody has exactly the same opinions and views? That's boring. That is so boring. And it's also like, you're never going to grow as a person like that either. Like I'm, I'm somebody who I'm always like, I want to be better. Like I want to grow as a, as a human and, and be the best person I can be usually with a lot of, a lot of follies and failures along the way, but that's how we learn. But by doing that, you have to, it's healthy to talk to people who aren't like you and have different opinions than you. And even people who you, you, they are like tribe to you and they're brothers and sisters to you. You're still going to have differences and that's good. That's healthy. You should, you know, like if we were all clones, like it's just a circle jerk (laughs) and not, and not in a good way. (laughs) No milk bottle to fill up. Oh oh my God. As I, I just learned something new. I was just thought it was like people just letting the seeds go to the wind, you know? Or there's the cookie game. I have to ask, what is the cookie game? Do you deposit the seed on the cookie and the last person who has yet to get their rocks off has to eat the cookie? Ew. I don't know if that's true or if just one of those urban legends or what, you know, if it's like a Cleveland steamer kind of a thing or where that comes from, but... <sighs> You know, weirdly enough, this actually does bring to mind uh, a very surreal conversation I once had at a karaoke bar years ago, where this woman was hella drunk, and she was telling me she had dated a guy uh, that my husband and I kind of know, and I guess he was involved in the OTO, and she was super drunk, and she's like, and she was Southern, too, which made it even better. She's real Southern, so she's like, so he had, they had this cookie that they make with semen. But they have to burn it so you don't get the AIDS, like or something. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. And I'm just like, oh my god, does she have a designated driver? <laughs> and I barely knew this woman too, which made it even better. I'm like, I am, I am in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of karaoke either, so it was a lot of, you know, you got drunk college girls singing, you know, baby got back. Don't know what Sir Mix-a-Lot did to deserve that to his legacy, but you know it is what it is. So yes, the the cookie game. Well, that's um that could be the next internet award sensation. Do you want to answer some burning listener questions? Let, yes. What what do what are what are the people? Let's speak to our people here. I should be doing Paul Stanley. I'd be like, all right, people. It's question time. Because you know we ain't gonna answer no. Unrock and roll questions from no. I don't know. I've I've had a cold. I'm not even. Gonna... <laughs> Do you know what Ace Frehley's favorite film from 2020 was? Parasite Lady. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, Sorry, I should have said 2019. My bad. True, true story. When that movie started getting buzz, I, every single time I think about it, that's what I would get in my head. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> Parasite, I, yeah, which a great song. So I, I was like, cool, this movie's going to be good. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, so Brian O'Mara writes, Sorry if someone has asked this already, but what are some of your favorite movies from the podcast that you probably would have never seen without having created it? That's an excellent question. I love that question. Of course, I don't put any thought into these questions, even though I've had like two months to prepare. I'm just like, hey, let's go off the cuff so I can give some really shitty answers. 
the show has introduced so many great movies to my sphere. Some of some that I knew about, some like uh, like the Intacto episode. That one I went into kind of cold, and I loved that movie. That movie was like it's so underrated. I think more people should should hear that episode and seek that movie out because that that one's great. Um, recently, you know, you and I did we did the Marco Ferrari of uh, Seeds of Man. Oh, with yeah. cat and you know that definitely that made me want to just seek out every marco ferrari movie especially after getting to hear cat who you know is an expert <laughs> you know on his filmography and on the man um so those two definitely come to my mind yeah seats of man was great seats of man was one where i had been wanting to watch it for the longest time and this just kind of forced me to watch it which is perfect um an american hippie in israel is one that i don't think i would have seen had it not been for the podcast and i'm very glad that i was able to watch that movie have you seen that one before you know i haven't and i it's on my list um it's actually in the bizarro book skip wrote about it oh cool and so um so if anybody loves that movie buy our book <laughs> that seems like it's going to be a common refrain this episode please <laughs> i said please <laughs> support people that are involved with the podcast if you can and please definitely you need to check out heather's book because it is fantastic yay thank you <laughs> of course i was just saying earlier that i like that i'm to the point in my life where i don't feel like i have to beg for people for the things that they've put their hard work into and now i can actually start to support people a little bit more so it's like a friend of mine um this writer named uh red fright he put out a book recently and it was just like okay cool not only will i give you the paltry five dollars that you're looking for for your book but i will go ahead and give you ten dollars or uh leon chase his band uncle leon and the alibis they put out a live album and it's just like you're asking for five bucks for this on Bandcamp. i will give you twenty dollars because you are my friend and i want to support your work and it's just finally i'm getting to that point in my life where i can be like not saying heather can you send me a pdf of the bizarro encyclopedia <laughs> Oh, no, that's it. See, that kind of supports awesome. But I think that's, um, that's actually kind of something else I was going to riff on. We were talking about the Rontos is that, you know, seriously, if people like for artists that you know, and love, or even artists you don't know, but you love them, the best way to support them isn't some award or anything like that. Like, you know, buy their stuff if um if the coffers are low hey we're creatives we understand most of us are usually broke <laughs> but you know just talking about it on a podcast or tweeting about it or making a post just being like oh wow this looks cool you know check this person out all of that is always so appreciate appreciative and appreciative and i can't talk it's appreciated <laughs> and we appreciate it and uh and that's the best thing to do and uh no, I love that. And I'm going to check out Leon's band. Leon's awesome. Yeah, his band's pretty fantastic as well. Very, very good beer drinking band. I like beer and I like music. I'll have to check that out. Another one that I don't think I would have seen except for the podcast, and it's one that you and I talked about, was Belladonna of Sadness. Oh, my God. I generally love every episode of we've done, truly, for diff- all of them for various reasons. But that one is actually, it's got to be one of my favorites. That one was so much fun, and I love that movie. And that's so, that to me just makes it even more of a gift knowing that, like, you know, we got to kind of 
like Kat and I as the Hell's Bells collective (laughs) (laughs) got to bring that to your sphere because that movie is just such a God, it's such a gift. I mean, that had been on my radar a little bit, but it was just like, yeah, I'll get to it. So, so much of this show, especially over the last, I'd say, two years, has just been me saying, all right, fuck it. We're going to do an episode on this. It's going to make me watch this movie. So I have to to see this so I can talk about it and have to learn more about the history and all of these things so that I can try to speak intelligently about things if there is history to be uncovered. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's really difficult to find articles or making ofs or any of those kind of things. But, you know, it's and then even if that doesn't happen, just the discussion is so much fun. One of the things I think that has always been such a strong suit for the projection booth is there's the variety of films that have been covered since the beginning, because it's always certainly like, obviously like really big, you know, and big budget titles that you've covered over the years, but there's never been a fear to dive into some very obscure waters. And even, even when, you know, like, and I know this too, because like sometimes I'll write an article about, you know, a movie, like I did one on the black room a few years ago, which is a movie I absolutely love. And I, it didn't, I don't know if it did that well, like as far as clicks or shares or anything, because it's not that well known, but that's not why, you know, any of us do what we do. We do it out of love and out of getting to have the experience of it. And that's what I love, especially when you do something that is such a deep dive because it's not, it's obviously not clickbait (laughs) because how many people are, people are going to seek out Star Wars versus Seeds of Man, right? But but that's not why any of us do what we do. We do it, we do it out of love. Exactly, yeah. I wish for everybody that listened to the Demolition Man episode would listen, listen to the Case for a Rookie Hangman episode. And that's a hint. And the thing, too, that I like is that we're living in this era where we talk about case for a rookie hangman. I'm sorry. I'm just like, that's another one where I wouldn't have necessarily watched it except for, for the show. We're in this era now where we can talk about what was essentially uh, an obscure film or written about very little and very underseen. And then, you know, we get to be part of the Blu-ray release of it. And it's just like, okay, good. So now more people have an opportunity to see these movies. And I, you know, like when we talked about uh, Never Too Young to Die, that wasn't any place. I was like, uh, you know, I think I had an encoded VHS rip and now it's out on Blu-ray. It was like, okay, finally. So I just always hope that some of these movies that are hard to find now or were hard to find when we were talking about them are now much easier to find. I mean, again, going back to this afternoon's discussion of uh, La Morfou, yeah, I saw a beat the shit VHS type of rip on that. And I hope to God one of these days that comes out on Blu-ray just for preservation purposes, if not anything else. That's the thing I think that is so vital. And one of the most vital things about the show is that talking about these films is to me, if it's not as its own thing, as an act of preservation, it's laying down the field for it because there, there have been so many films that just you and I've talked about that still languish and are kind of in this, you know, I mean, like a smoker, uh, which is what we did years ago, which is a really great, very just evocative, um, just one of a kind kind of adult film. And to my knowledge, the, the print, if that, if this is even in print anymore, which I don't know when we did it, the only copy that was out legally was cut by 40 minutes. 
Well, and then water power it was it's still butchered to shit. And like, where's the the Blu-ray of that? And I don't know if that'll ever happen. Yeah, I don't know if that that'll ever happen for a variety. <laughs> yeah, for a variety of reasons. But um, you know, or Seeds of Man. You know, there's there's so many films that we you know we have discussed that you know really just need a great release and need to be restored. Just uh, or actually speaking of Zulowski. Like, because we did... um On the Silver Globe. Silver Globe. On the Silver Globe. God, I hate it when your brain, like, locks up. That's the... That's one of the, the hazards people don't talk about a lot in our field. <laughs> it's like when you're... When, you, when you've talked about so many different movies and written about them over the years, sometimes it's all kind of like... Like that scene of Free Jack or, you know... <laughs> you know just, oh, you talk Free Jack and I perk up. I love it. I actually make a reference to Free Jack in an article I have coming out. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that one, On the Silver Globe's not, I mean, they're bootlegs of it, but that's a film that need. that's one you have to, that has to be cleaned up. Like, otherwise you're missing a lot of stuff in the film, you know, but yet, like, you know, Queen Kong is on Blu-ray. <laughs> I actually have some good news about um, On the Silver Globe that I just read the other day. Um, so Robert Hubbard, who was on the Phase 4 episode, he is one of the best researchers that I know of. And he's always sending me like little things of, you know, Hey, this is coming out. So like he was sending me, Hey, this deluxe box set of phase four is coming out. But he also sent me a note the other day that the, uh, the lunar trilogy that, uh, on the silver globe, remember how it was Julovsky's, what was it? His uncle who wrote the book that on the silver globe was kind of based on. Yeah. That is actually getting translated and released. So finally, we'll be able to read kind of the source material for that. Oh, fucking A. God, every, everything that has that man's name on it should be in print, accessible, <laughs> and just put out there for everybody. Because just what a tremendous artist. Oh, it looks like it's already available through Simon and Schuster for eighteen bucks. Not so it's got a shit ass cover, but I'll take it. Hey, we'll take it. Uh, yeah, any, any, any on the Silver Globe's better than none on the Silver Globe. A lot of the Czech Timber titles that I'd never seen before have been just welcome additions to, like, just the you know what I've I've been introduced to. Um, yeah, there've just been so many good films that I've been introduced to where I'm just so glad to have been able to see it. And one that doesn't immediately pop to mind, but I'm so glad that again, I made myself watch it for the show was, um, Peter Lorre's The Lost One. I really like that film. That was a, such a joy to talk about and such a powerful movie. So that's, that's one I have to see. That's, but again, that's kind of the cool thing about the show is that, you can look at an episode and be like, man, I haven't seen this film. I'm not even familiar with it. All the more reason to seek it out, you know, but both the episode and the movie. So Brian's part two, which he must be very intent on because he asked it twice um, in different places, <laughs> <laughs> was we want to hear from Mrs. White and what she thinks about the podcast, movies, etc. So let's go ahead, Heather, and I'm going to take a little break here and we can hear from Mrs. White, my wife, Andrea White. Oh, yay! Please tell me your name and what you do. Andrea White, and I'm a social worker for the state. How did you and I meet? Yahoo personal ads online 22 years ago next week. How often do we agree on movies? Uh, about 80% of the time. 
were you a film fan before we met? To some degree. I had a lot of movies in my collection. I used to work at a psychiatric hospital, and I'd take movies in to entertain the patients. So I had a wide variety. Have I changed the way that you think about movies? Somewhat. A little bit more tolerant of the effed up stuff. (laughs) (laughs) How would you define an effed up movie? Stuff that makes my skin crawl at times. Yeah. I still don't like Jodorowsky. Sorry, honey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Things I would have never thought I'd like. Interested in watching much more subtitled movies. Are there any movies that we both enjoy? And then the (laughs) Brian added, perhaps a romantic film. (laughs) We don't like romantic films that much. (laughs) Sci-fi, blockbusters, action. Dune. Dune. A little bit of creature features. I'm a big fan of Godzilla and shark movies. Any particular shark movies? The Mag. (laughs) Jaws. Have we ever watched a movie together that gave you second thoughts about me? Jodorowsky. What was that one? The top the Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain. Not a fan. What are some of your other interests? I read voraciously. Animals. Yeah, I read animals. <laughs> yeah. Right now I'm reading a lot of sci-fi fantasy books. Mysteries, detective stories. Used to read a lot of true crime. Try to get away from that a little bit more, though. Honey, would you love me more if I did a true crime podcast? No. Okay. (laughs) It's too much when life and what you're reading is too similar. And then Brian adds, thank you for sharing Mike with the podcast community. I'm sure we've taken a lot of his free time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What's it like being the wife of a podcaster? can be lonely, especially if there's interviews five days a week for hours at a time, or podcasts, recordings. His calendar fills up faster than mine does. Well, thank you, Andrea. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy having a good time, and it's not cheap either. Every week, the Projection Booth brings you a new show, possibly even two, focusing on all genres of cinema. If you've sat through the seven-hour Conan episode, the six-hour Star Wars episode, or even the hour-long Superb Man episode, you know that Mike and his co-host put forth a lot of work into researching the movies, tracking down the interview subjects, and putting together one of the best podcasts on the internet. Now I'm asking you if you can repay all that hard work by giving back to the projection booth. The show has a Patreon fundraiser at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash projection booth. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. At least 50 great shows and two terrible ones. That's the price of two matinee tickets. Now, isn't the projection booth worth it? Once again, that's patreon.com slash projection booth. Donate today. It's the right thing to do.
Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you'd love more, right? Well, AdamandEve.com wants to give you more with 10 free gifts. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, a specially selected toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BOOTH at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item and get 10 free gifts including free shipping when you enter offer code BOOTH. That's B-O-O-T-H at adamandeve.com. And we're talking about Ego Fest number nine. So we were in the middle of questions. I hope people enjoyed hearing my wife put me down repeatedly. At least that's my guess because I haven't recorded the uh, episode yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's going to be nothing but love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'll be a love fest. Lots of love. (laughs) And there may be a few things of like, oh, God, there's that one time you made me watch this horrible movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) She'll never forgive me for the Holy Mountain. So let's take another question from John Matto. I've always wondered how the Czech timber tradition originated. What made you choose that particular country to dedicate a, dedicate a month on instead of another one? Do you plan to continue it indefinitely, or will you eventually switch to another country's cinema? Uh, so Czech timber comes out of my love of Eastern European cinema, and I noticed that the Czechs seem to put out some really fucking fantastic films. This year, I'm actually doing a month dedicated to Polish films and one to French films. And then, yeah, we're still doing Czech-tember. And I think we'll just keep doing that until we run out of good Czech films to talk about. And that's going to be a long damn time. Which is awesome. Though, though, you know, Mike, I think the problem with Czech-tember is, I mean, are any of those films SAG? Or were even made by people in, in SAG? Like this is this is a, this is a serious question. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I was very lucky. I took a class when I was in college with this guy Herbie Eagle, who I think he was actually friends with like Dusan Makovev, who I knew was Yugoslavian, not Czechoslovak, but um, yeah, he introduced us to some great Eastern European films, and I just really loved what i saw i loved closely watched trains there were so many good things that i saw and that's one area where i personally want to explore it more and see more of these films so it's really i mean just kind of like the whole show overall it's just all about you know my ego and what i want to do and what movies i want to see so 
Fuck yeah, I'll keep doing Czech Timber. I, mean, I think that's awesome. And that's a great question, John. So thank you for, for sending that in. Noel Thingval asks, what are some of your favorite unproduced screenplays, and are there any you hope to cover on the show? I don't tend to read screenplays these days just for kicks. I tend to read them almost exclusively for the show. I think the one screenplay that I read that I absolutely loved, we actually talked about it a little bit on the Mega Man episode. It was a version of... uh I am legend that didn't get made. That was a lot of fun. And I wish it had gotten made, especially over the Will Smith version of I am legend. But yeah, I haven't read a screenplay just for fun in a long time. So I can't, uh, can't really speak to that one. Sorry, Noel. I would, of course I haven't read it. Uh, but one screenplay I would love to read and to see, see it maybe come out in some form or fashion is uh, I believe it was called RPM and it was the script that Stephen Sadian wrote with Jerry Stahl in the late 90s I believe mid 90s and it got lost for years but there is apparently a version that has been found maybe maybe not I'm hoping but that's that's a cool question that's always been like something that has like really impressed me with your like research skills Mike is you're like super sleuth with those scraps because <laughs> I've done shows where you're like okay here's here's the folder and it's like holy shit like you're like the Indiana Jones over here of like going down to the Incan ruins and finding lost scripts and that belongs in a museum just imagine if I lived in L.A. and could actually get into, like, the Academy libraries and stuff. I'd be fucking dangerous. That would be awesome. That would be... Oh, there's got to be some kind of government grant or something. Well, not under this administration. Who knows? No. Hopefully, maybe for the 20... Hopefully, the 2020 election goes well. <laughs> we get some kind of progressive in there. Maybe we could start getting some good grants again for... Uh, the arts, but um, that would be cool because that's that's the thing. Like, I really feel like, and I can say this objectively with no ego, I feel like you should be getting like every every other commentary gig that comes out with film because the level of research and hard work you put into like every episode of Projection Booth is more than what I think some what people even fathom doing for anything. Like, it's just, there's so much love and, and intelligence and hard work and savvy. I said it. Savvy. King in the castle. King in the castle. I have a chair. I have a chair. Well, I appreciate your compliment. Thank you very much. No, it's true. Plus, it's EgoFest. We can do that. We can pay all the compliments. As I'm sitting here, I was thinking that Ronnie Rocket and One Saliva Bubble would be fun to talk about one of these days. I really love both of those scripts. One Saliva Bubble always reminds me of a um, Richard Brodigan story, the Sombrero, fall- Sombrero Fallout. Just this whole idea of one simple little thing causing this whole chain of events. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Kishan's uh, The Big Dig, where one lunatic with a jackhammer is able to just basically destroy Tel Aviv because people start supporting him, not knowing that he's a madman. <laughs> they just think it's a public works project. But uh, with Sombrero Fallout, it's a Sombrero Falls from the Sky, and then all of the things that happen after that so the fallout of the fallout as it were and then one saliva bubble it's been a while since i've read it but i remember that being also pretty wild i mean anytime i get to talk about david lynch i'd 
be more than happy to do it. So just have to find a way to work that into conversation. Yeah, that'd be, that would be cool. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to read it. <laughs> that one, luckily, is fairly easy to find. And plus, since you know me, I can probably get you a copy. Wow. Come on, Projection Booth Perks. <laughs> The one thing that I also love a lot that's related to scripts are work prints. And I've always wanted to see, like, there are certain work prints where it's just like, ooh, ooh, I, I want to see that. So, I'm sorry to sound like Horshack there. But <laughs> the one that comes to mind the most with that, and I'm looking at the script right now across the way from me, is The Thirteenth Warrior, which was originally Eaters of the Dead. That was the Crichton novel it was based on, and then the John McTiernan version of it was Eaters of the Dead, and then apparently either a producer recut it, or they said that it tested poorly, so it they reshot and added a whole bunch of stuff. And personally, I love the 13th Warrior, so I would just be very curious to see what the Eaters of the Dead cut looks like. So that's kind of like the intriguing thing when you when you deal with work prints is like what what gets excised and what doesn't. Like I remember what like as a teenager when I first heard about like, ooh, this is the work print edition of something, being just like, ooh, it was almost like getting like an underground peak into something. I think the first one I ever heard about was the work print for Return of the Living Dead. I'm a huge fan. I love that movie and I super loved it as a teenager. It was a very it's a great movie, I think, to love as a teen. <laughs> you know, like, I love it now as an adult, too. But yeah, just hearing, like, oh, there's a work print, which I've never actually seen the whole work print of it to this day. But uh, just hearing about it, I remember seeing some uh, screen grabs of it, I think, on a website back in the day and just being like, oh, you know. And of course, yeah, the other quality is always very bootleggy. So it makes it look even more just, like, kind of forbidden in a way. Yeah, that's one of the things that I'll be talking about later this year, actually, is um, Nightbreed and all the different cuts of that and oh, some yeah. of the work prints that are available. Because I saw Nightbreed when it was at the movie theater, I think. I mostly remember just like doing aisle checks on it because I was an usher at the time. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I've seen this part. I saw this part. And I think I might have actually watched it all the way through once. But I just know it's one of those like, you know, troubled productions. Uh, so I, I'm using this as an excuse to dive into the troubles and see all those different versions of it. Oh, right on. Well, you know, what is somebody that was in, and it was just like kind of like a cameo, but there were two writers that are, uh, that were in the Midian, uh, the original Midian cut of it as part of the underworld characters. And that was, you're, you're going to love this. John Skip. And Craig Spector, who at the time, Skip and Spector were partners, and they wrote a lot of books together. But yeah, so, um, and I don't know if you know this, but John Skip also wrote a book with me called The Bizarro Encyclopedia Film Volume 1. You're like the, the Paul Harvey of this podcast. I love it. I'm trying to get more comfortable with plugging my work more, because I find, like, do you, I don't know if, you ever, if you've ever felt like this with the show over the years, is that... Like, I find with most people that are creatives, like most of us, it feels kind of weird to pimp ourselves out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, and I've struggled with that, but I'm trying to be better about it because honestly, I mean, we work hard. We should be proud of our work and, you know, not be ashamed to do that. So it's, uh, so I'm, I'm using this as an exercise. <laughs> we work hard for the money. So hard for it, honey. We work hard for the money. So you better treat us right. Except, except money has quotation marks around it. <laughs> 
Do it all for the cookie. Yeah, the cookie. <laughs> no, gross. Wait, I don't want to do it for the cookie. <laughs> Paul Stanley pops up and goes, yeah. <laughs> so our friend Morris has an ego fest question. Oh, we love Morris. Morris is fantastic. He is the so best. Morris says, okay, so my ego fest question is how do you carp compartmentalize i can't even use the word how do you car- compartmentalize your approach to film watching and preparation if you have multiple shows on the go oh my god that's an awesome do question. i ever <laughs> <laughs> i try to watch the movie that we're going to talk about very early if i can watch a movie like six months before we do a show i'll do that and then i'll have it in the back of my head for that whole time and then i will watch it again usually like a day before or the day of the podcast if not a couple days before because i try to write the outline a couple days before and that requires just me sitting down and taking notes through the whole thing but yeah, if I can do that initial watch, and that's another reason why I try, I try to plan this stuff out so far ahead, is just because I always like to watch stuff at least twice, if not more. Um, but that doesn't always work out. And then as far as compartmentalizing, I mean, I just... Sometimes things will overlap. I try not to uh, remember things from one movie being in another movie if I can help it. But I do I do try to do like, you know, like the theme months and stuff just so I can try to have that cross dialogue between things. I've known you for years and I never actually really knew like your process until now. So thank you, Morris. Now you know my secrets. Your secrets. Yes. I read your book. I know all your tricks. To me, that's always kind of cool because I feel like everybody has their own little rituals with preparation for, for, you know, whether it's podcasts or writing work or whatever. So very interesting. I try not to read stuff too early. So I'm like always looking at like, okay, what's the show that's like three weeks from now. So like in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing, they shoot horses, don't they? So I just read the McCoy book, finish it up yesterday. And then I'm starting to read the script. And then in a few days, I'll start to read the articles. And so hopefully it'll work out so that like the day of recording, I'll be finishing the last article and be able to just kind of jump right in to the discussion and have it all fresh in my mind because my mind is like a sieve. And I don't know if you're like this with your writing projects, but with me, when I write stuff or when I podcast, I basically take it all, spit it all out and then just say, okay, on to the next thing. And then I forget a lot of the things that I've said or learned, which is bad. I hope to retain some of it, but I feel like this is my opportunity to say everything that I want to say. And then I move to the next project. Right. No, I I completely understand. Um, When you move on, you sort of forget a lot of what you will say in a podcast. Cause I've actually, fuck yeah. I, um, I had somebody when Kat and I did the first uh, Hell's Bells, which was on, we did a two parter on Radley Metzger, and uh, which my first ever projection booth episode was a Radley film. That's right. The opening of Mr. Baker. That's right. So you, you brought me in with the big guns, which is amazing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> apparently, and I believe it was episode two, I was ranting about a writer, a film critic named, I think it was Janet Maslin. 
uh, who gave a really shitty review of a Barovchuk film. I don't know how I got started on that in a Bradley Metzger episode, but apparently- It's easy to talk about Barovchuk when you're around Cat, though. Uh, right. Well, we both love him. So, and apparently I threatened to peg this woman with the DVD copy of Labette. And I forgot about that completely. And somebody had tweeted, like, posted about the show and they were like oh my god I Heather threatened to peg this woman <laughs> and I was like oh shit I did say that tonight it's like oh my god <laughs> I'm a monster <laughs> in internet parlance let me say that I can give people a pro tip which is don't come at me bro don't come at me or email me and think that I know what the fuck you're talking about if you're suddenly referencing a podcast I did last week, two weeks ago, three years ago. I mean, we're celebrating nine years on this Ego Fest. So I've been talking shit for nine years. So if you come back with something that I said in like the Stuntman episode, I'm not going to have any fucking idea what you're talking about without you giving me some good context. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said that blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what are you even talking about? We don't script these things out. And I can't imagine anybody like I know there are some people that do when they do like commentary work. Some will actually script things out to a T. King in the castle, king in the castle. Which I I mean, if that works for them. I, I can't even imagine. I cannot fathom working like that personally. I'm not, if somebody can work like that, great. I'm not judging them. It's just not for me. But, you know, but also it's just like, yeah, I mean, you want things to sound, I mean, to me, like if something sounds conversational, whether it's podcast or the DVD commentary or whatever, that's more engaging because again, it's that whole thing going back to you're talking with the people, not at them. And uh -huh. if somebody's talking at you, I, I kind of think, you know, for me, at least, like, part of your brain shuts down a little bit. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not being treated as an equal. Why should I listen to this person? Speaking of talking, we have another question from Darren Williams. Do you ever re-listen to old episodes having reevaluated your feelings on the film covered? The only time I re-listen to old episodes are when I'm prepping for, like, a follow-up follow-up episode, or if I've been asked to be on another person's podcast to talk about the same movie that I've already talked about. And that's just basically to refresh my memory quite a bit. So, like, we've done two episodes, believe it or not, we've done two episodes on Manos, The Hands of Fate. So when we did the second episode, I went back and I listened to that first one just to, like, refresh what I said and where I was coming from and just all those things. Mostly... For you, my dear listeners, because I don't want to repeat myself. Um, I grew up with a mother who loves to tell the same stories over and over and over again. And I try not to be that person. I'm sure I've repeated myself tons of times on this show, but I really try not to. So I'm not going to be like, oh, well, you know, with Manos, blah, 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 or any of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, tell the, the same story, have the same opinion, the same anecdotes, any of that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, that's pretty much, you know, or like when I guess a little bit higher uh, echelon of filmmaking is when we talked about The Other Side of the Wind. So I'd done tons of research. Justin had done tons of research on Other Side of the Wind. So when we finally got to see the movie and talk about it, I went back and I listened to that first episode. But otherwise, I hate the sound of my own voice. I'm not about to go back and listen to something for kicks or 
just to, yeah, the the whole idea of reevaluating my feelings on a film that we've covered. I know what my feelings were, so I'm okay doing that without having to use the podcast for a crutch on that one. That makes sense. I don't know anybody who likes the sound of their own voice. I work for a guy who really likes the sound of his own voice. At least that's what I have to surmise. Oh, God. Because he sure talks a lot of shit. I bet he's a real cool dude, too. Darren also asked, if you could have Tarantino on any... an episode to talk about the Reservoir Dog situation, would you do it? If I could have Tarantino on an episode, I would probably do it. It would be very awkward, I think. <laughs> After talking so much shit about him for so many years. Um, but I wouldn't turn him down as a guest. I think he would be a very um, hostile interview, let's say. I sent him a message on Facebook a few years ago saying, hey, once you're uh, done with that 10th movie, if you ever want to come on the podcast, you're more than welcome. That's amazing. I think he likes the sound of his own voice. Definitely. I would I would venture to guess that. I can't imagine having a two-way conversation with that guy. It'd be weird. That would be very weird. He also, um, you could you could ask about his opinion, because he, he was once quoted saying that um, the only good classic adult film was Hot um, Hot Summer of the City. Oh. He, and he said none of them, that was the only one that was good, and the rest of them weren't good. I don't tend to agree with that I would op- very opinion. much disagree with that. So I'm going to have to peg him with a DVD copy of that. <laughs> 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 I kid, I kid. But uh, are you wearing socks right now, Heather? Oh, gross! Ew, don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <ugh. laughs> that scene in uh, from Dustal Dawn. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm always. I, to me, that's the most horrific thing in that movie. I'm always. I'm like screaming at the screen. I'm like, girl, no, get your foot out of his mouth. <laughs> I'm just waiting for like all the Me Too stuff to finally fucking hit with him because it just feels like he's dodged a bullet. I know Sony's got his back on a lot of stuff. I think Sony's got the protection out for him and for Brian Singer big time. Ooh, talk about some Silkwood shower action. See, this is why I love Clue Gulliger. And this is, that maybe seemed like a bizarre segue, but Clue Gulliger has never failed me as an artist. I don't think he's ever gotten inappropriate with woman in a way that would be a Me Too movement. And he's the man. So I think people, if you're listening, instead of supporting artists that are icky and not in a cool way, like Klaus Kinski, <laughs> who could be icky, but I love him. I can't help it. Love Clue Gulliger. So just saying. Do you happen to write about any Clue Gulliger films in the Bizarro Film Encyclopedia? You know, I haven't, but we are working on Volume 2, so... And I believe Volume 1 is now available through Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. Mike, it's funny you mentioned that. Yes, it is. Actually, you know, it's funny, uh, on our opening Misty Beethoven episode, which was the first... We also talked about Misty Beethoven the musical. And I shit you not, this is the amazing thing about life and how we're all connected, is... One of the people that wrote the songs for that movie was John Skip. Seriously. Such a small world. I know. Isn't that crazy? And um, so, yeah, because uh, Veronica Hart and K. Jane Hamilton directed that one. And they're old friends. John actually has two kids with Kelly Nichols. Wow. The great, the great classic adult film actress. Beautiful lady. 
ridiculously yes. pretty. Well, so is Jane Hamilton. Um, so yeah, so it's a, it is a small world after all. With Kelly Nichols, am I remembering right that she was in Roommates? She was. Oh man, yeah, she was fantastic in that, and I was so glad that we covered that up that movie as well. That was such a great. One. I'm very. That's another one I'm very proud of, and the fact that um, we got that you know we got the Rialto Report stamp of approval. Oh yeah, With that one that meant a lot to me because Ashley, of course, Ashley was on the episode, but Ashley's you know just a classic gentleman, and just the amount of work they do on their show and on that website is a a total gift of. I mean, you don't even have to love like that era of film, but just if you love history and human history, you know, it's just it's it's always they do everything with just such sensitivity and insight. So big, big fan of Rialto for sure. I could see Rialto report, you know, possibly getting a Rondo Award. I can't imagine. I imagine like a lot of the old guard for uh, monster movie type stuff would be shaking their pearls and their hankies about that. Oh my. Like I remember, I actually remember seeing an old horror host. Um, I won't mention his name, but um, he actually did a good show. So, uh, you know, but he did a, he presented the movie, the devil's nightmare, the Erica blank horror movie. Okay. And it was the edited cut. And uh, he actually, like when he referred to like the stuff that was cut out of it, he, he literally, was like, oh, there was some nasty stuff in that. Like that. And it's like, so boobies are terrible, but it's okay to see, like, the dead. Right. <laughs> like, murder and corpses are fine, but do, do not show me a titty, damn it. <laughs> Never. Jesus. So, so it's so weird. That's the. Uh, it's funny because I've, I've actually seen, I think, more issues with women. And some facets of horror fandom that I ever have with people that were, uh, you know, fans of, say, like, you know, erotica, you know, like erotica or, you know, the classic adult uh, film era. Right, right. A lot of those guys were fine. Like, if anything, they're like, oh, cool, women are into this. Like, they love it. As opposed to like, oh, God, a girl like Stario Agento. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded a lot like, um, oh, God, what, what's that? Uh, the, he was like a pink leopard that was on. Um, oh, Snagglepuss. Yes, you sound a lot like Snagglepuss oh, at that Snagglepuss. moment. <laughs> oh, my God. He's fabulous. Serving Snagglepuss realness. <laughs> Oh god! Oh, that's a compliment. Oh, of course. My, now my ego is boosted. <laughs> <laughs> we have a quadrology of questions from Zach Clute. I hope I'm saying your name right, Zach. No relation to Shannon, I imagine. Shannon Clute. Shannon Clute, one of the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Out of the Past. Oh, cool. Yeah, which has not been around for years and years, but. Yeah, Shannon Clute, uh, him and Rich Edwards hosting one of the best film noir podcasts that you could possibly ever listen to. Heavily recommended. Have they been nominated for a Ronda? No. That's the only thing. Are they Are they with SAG? Are they at least with SAG? Uh, no SAG. Well, you know what? Shannon's been on TCM before, but no, no, I don't think he's ever been in a movie. So, nope. Well, And sir. Rich has as well. Rich actually ended up teaching uh, some classes through TCM. 
Oh, wow. That's awesome. Like, seriously, that's, man, that's super cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Those guys are great. And yeah, their podcast is fantastic. So that's one of the reasons why I haven't covered as many film noirs as I would like to, because they kind of really put me to shame. But one of these days, people forget about Out of the Past, and I'll be able to just take all their good <laughs> ideas and say that they were my own. Yes, Speaking a of Tommy Camp in ev- <laughs> a Tommy Camp in every city. <laughs> uh, goodness, well, Zach, um, his first question is: Who was a guest that you were surprised that you got to interview for the show? I think the biggest surprises for me have been some of the bigger names: Ed Harris definitely one Stacy Keach and Bruce Dern, I think have been the most surprising as well as I would say some of the ones where you're just like, there's no way I'm ever going to hear back from this person. So the director of me and him, that was really surprising that we managed to have such a good interview. And I was just like, there's no way she's ever going to get back to me, but sure enough. Yeah. I would say for like bigger names and stuff where you're just like, there's no fucking way that these people will ever talk to me. When I got word back through Ed Harris's person that he was willing to talk about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I was like, fucking hey, this is pretty awesome. That's something that you, again, you've wowed me with this, like some of the people you've got to talk with over the years. I'm just like, wow, this is awesome. Like I, I would have to give a shout out to my favorite now, obviously I'm biased, but um, my favorite interview that you've done on an episode I've, I've been attached to was your, and you got to interview Steven Sadian. Thanks to you, my friend. If I hadn't known you, I don't think I ever would have gotten anywhere near him. But me and Steven got to connect because of you. Yeah, because years to go, we, and it, this was all spurred because I can't remember what episode we were recording, but when we were wrapping up, um, I was rattling off to you about just like, oh my God, I love Steven Sadian and, you know, just how much I love his films and just, I was going on and you had, you had located an email address for him and you were like, Hey, I think I have an email address for him. Do you want me to let him know? Like, Hey, I, my friend Heather's a writer and she's a fan of your work. And if you know, connect that. And I was like, Oh my God, absolutely. Cause what a lot of people don't realize is that for years, like Steven was MIA. Nobody knew what happened to him. Like, and, um, and so, and so he did, and he read some of my work, and we hit it off. And he's a hell of a nice guy. And I just thought the interview, you asked him all the right questions. He is the best talker in the world. And that one was great. Also, your interview with Andy Robinson for the Charlie Varick episode was amazing. He was so much fun to talk to. Such a sweet man. My goodness. That man is salt of the earth. I would help him move his furniture if he asked me to, just listening to how sweet he was to you. And uh, a friend of mine got to go to a convention later that year and meet him. And she mentioned, like, the projection booth. And that episode, she's like, oh, my friend Heather was on that. And um, she's a big fan of yours. And he was like, oh, I love the projection booth. Like, he, oh, had, wow. he obviously had such a great time. He immediately, like, his face lit up talking about it so obviously you made a a wonderful impression on him i had to say one person that i it's just one of those like you know andy robinson has been known for playing such sleaze bags like uncle frank and you know the scorpio killer (laughs) and garrick and all these characters and he was super nice the other guy who i talked to who was just the biggest sweetheart in the world was anthony james who if you don't know the name you know the face 
And yes. my God, you know, I, I, when you pull up his name, it just says like creepy, sleazy, oily villain. <laughs> you know, It's like, yeah, that's what he's known for. But my God, what a sweet man. Oh my God. I don't know if you heard my heart race. I, it sounded like it, it jumped, you know, through your, th- your throat a little bit there. It did. I love him so much. Anthony James is the man. Like, oh my God. Um, it's crazy this comes up because earlier today I heard that song from In the Heat of the Night, Foul Al on the Prowl, oh, which nice. is such a great song. And I love him in that, in that scene. Where he's, you know, just kind of like tapping his foot to the foul owl on the prowl. Like, oh, God, it's like a... Also, his turn in the music video for Poison's Fallen Angel. Holy shit. <laughs> it... Oh, my God. I... I have I have made friends watch a music video by the band Poison just because Anthony James is in it. He play And he plays a sleazy agent. Oh, my God. He's a man. Oh... Yeah, there are some episodes that we've done where it's just an interview, and it's like, I wish I could have turned this into an episode. Like, with him, it's like, I would have made the excuse of, like, let's do High Plains Drifter and just, you know, slot that interview right in there. But it's just like getting all that stuff together. And really, I mean, he had a book to promote, and it was just like, okay, let's just talk about the book. You know, same thing with, like, Bill Duke. It's like, okay, let's talk about the the book, Bill, and just do that. But, like... Bill Duke is another one where it's just like, my God, I could talk about so many movies with this guy. I would love to do like a Predator episode and have Bill Duke on that, you know? Oh, my God. Or yes. Commando, you know? I've interviewed uh, so many people from Commando, but it's just like, no, 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 I want more people. I want to talk to the whole cast of Commando, you know? Give me give me David Patrick Kelly right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. If he's a predator, you could get Jesse Ventura. Oh, my God. That'd be great. We yeah. could talk about conspiracy theories. That'd be wonderful. Yes. I love Jesse Ventura. You know, his um, his line in Predator, he's got my favorite lines in that movie, where it's just like, this stuff will make you a goddamn sexual tyrannosaur <laughs> like me. <laughs> <laughs> he's so... Oh, God. He's so good. His turn is... Uh, is it Mr... Or no, it's Captain Freedom and The Running Man. Oh, God, his workout commercial is everything. I was trying to get him and Jim Brown for that episode. was not able to do it. But, Damn. you know, the thing that people need to realize, too, and I don't know if they know this, like, I, I haven't gotten any of these smart-ass comments lately, but it's like, you know, if I were to cover minority report which we have covered you know i'm surprised i didn't get some jackass going you should have tried to talk to tom cruise it's like you know what i tried to talk to tom cruise i will actually do that try to find the right avenues to talk to people because i'm not afraid of asking for an interview it's just if you can find the right people to talk to and then get that interview like max von Sydow. My God, would I love to talk to Max von Sydow. I would have talked to him about that movie. I would have talked to him about anything that that guy wants to talk about. But, you know, I, I tried to reach out to him for the uh, the Strange Brew episode. So it's like, Max, you know, come on, baby. Let's do this up. But it's a matter of, like, it's not a matter of me asking. It's a matter of me getting a response. That's the thing, though, that's always kind of, like, floored me, though, is that, you know, you've, you've gotten some amazing gets, though. Like that's, you know, I think, I think the, the impressive factors way bigger. I mean, honestly, I would much rather hear Anthony James or Bill Duke interviewed than Tom Cruise. Cause I mean, the thing is like, you know, especially with a lot of the big 
current mainstream people is I almost feel like they're so used to doing these very pat interviews where they're not even really proper interviews. You know, it's just all just like promo speak. So, you know, I think when you get to actually talk to people that are like more like character actors, you're going to get like the real me. You're going to get a real person. But speaking of interviews, because Zach's next question is, who is the hardest guest for you to contact and nail down for an interview, which kind of ties into the whole thing of like, well, why couldn't you get so-and-so? The ones that come to mind are the still the the white whales for me <laughs> so, no offense uh to colleen camp for calling her a white whale but she has just been so elusive i would have loved to have talked to her for the smile episode for death game gosh for apocalypse now it's just like yeah let's talk and she has set up interviews and has stood me up a few times. So it's like after a while, you just don't even try anymore. <laughs> um, Alan Sachs, you know, you know from personal experience that we've been trying to get Alan Sachs for about a year now. Um, mm-hmm. still working on that. I have on my calendar about once a month, I have a little reminder that says reach out to Alan Sachs. So one of these days that DeBedio episode will happen, I promise. Yes, let's all cross our fingers. So stranger things have happened. Yeah. So, and the last one I, that comes to mind is, um, and I'm going to butcher her name, Ulrike Ottinger, who is a German director who actually was doing a residence in, God, was it New Hampshire or something? And I had a time set up to talk with her and unfortunately that fell through i was even looking into airfare to fly out to fucking new hampshire and meet with her personally so i could do an interview but just never happened but that's how much i was willing to to do to talk to her about her filmography and especially about the film freak orlando that is dedication (laughs) or insanity i'm not sure which it is the compulsion to do what we do uh, is, some would argue, insanity. I just think it's it's passion, drive, and hard work. Damn it. We're hard workers. <laughs> That's right. Midwestern pride. That's right. Woo! And Zach's third question, uh, who was your favorite to interview? Um, you know, we've already talked about, like, Andy Robinson and Anthony James. I really enjoyed talking with Ginger Lynn. She was so much fun and so nice and such a sweet lady. Um, I don't know if I, I can't put her in competition with, uh, Jane Hamilton, but just like, uh, you know, when I was able to speak to both of those ladies for an episode, was that the smoker episode? Uh, no, because I know Ginger's not in that. Okay. What am I thinking of then? Was that, uh, it wasn't Cleo Leo. Was it? It might have been Cleo. That sounds right, because I'm not, I'm not on that episode. Okay. That was around that time. Right. Um, that would make sense. She was but so yeah, nice. I love her. She... I love Ginger Lynn. Oh, yeah. That's, um, heck, we should, maybe we could get her someday. We'll do like a new wave hookers. Oh, so. fuck yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Ashley talked about getting my Gregory Dark, so maybe one of these days. Oh, my God. That'd be nice, that would, right? That, that would be crazy. Oh, shit. Ooh, and I'm putting this out there. Wouldn't it be great if we could get Tito Larerva mm-hmm. for that episode? Because the plugs do so much of the music. Yes, that would be wonderful. And I love Tito Larerva. He's like a man amongst men. He's, he's Tito. Come on. Yeah. 
I love him. But yeah, Ginger, I, I, she's, she's somebody that just even, you know, when I'm in that interview and just other interviews I've seen her, she just is so bubbly. And just, the, she's just got like a light about her or something. You just instantly are like, I I want to have a beer with this woman. She is fantastic. Well, yeah, she's just like no bullshit either. So it was just like, yeah, what, ask me whatever the hell you want and I'll answer it. I was like, okay, great. You know, thank you. Because there are times like, I, you may not have noticed this, but I don't tend to interview that many women on the show. And that's. Again, not for lack of trying, but it's also because I always feel kind of weird because I know so many women have had to put up with so much shit over the years where I just don't want them thinking I'm another creepy fan who's going to like come on there and be like, oh, I think you're so sexy or anything like that. It's like, <laughs> let me treat you like a person rather than a product or a piece of meat. But I know so many women have been treated like pieces of meat over the years that it's just like, I don't want to be perceived as another creepy fanboy. Right, which is very, very awesome and sensitive of you. Though, honestly, I think at this point, I mean, you've been doing the show for nine years. You have great credentials. Uh, you have a whole body of work. And honestly, Mike, you never you never put yourself out there like that. Like, I, I don't think anybody – I think if somebody thought that about you, that probably would speak more about them than you like because i you know that's the thing because even like your approach to you know having women on the show as co-hosts like you're always fair like i've you've never once given me bullshit or condescension or any of that i think you just i think you're just a good guy that just treats people you know like people like if somebody's a smart cool person then let's go i don't think you should ever be afraid of coming across like that well thank you i appreciate that well, yeah, you know, it's true. I mean, that's why I've been on the show for so long. <laughs> if you were condescending like Dick. <laughs> well, you know, the reason, the only reason I ever have female co-hosts on the show is to bump my numbers with female listeners. And it's just, it's not working. So I might have to do like a no chicks allowed in year 10. Well, see, the problem you made with that is you have me on there. Like I am, I'm like the woman that horrifies like everybody. I think <laughs> The Susan Tyrell of co-hosts. Oh my god, okay, now my ego, you know I love her, like, I might as well have an altar in my house to her, because she is my goddess, I love me some Suzu. It's like when people, like, cat, um, our new Hell's Bells, which hasn't, uh, gone live yet, but it's coming, we actually talk about, like, uh, being, being, fe- like, being a woman in writing, and uh, the film writing world and all that, and just always when people are like, I need a woman's voice, and I'm always like, I'm only one person. (laughs) You know, like one person can't represent a whole group. You know, I can, I just got to be me, you know, but, (laughs) but Ginger Lynn is fantastic. Now I see another name and the outline that is another one of my favorite actors who I have loved since I was in junior high. This is a guy who like any excuse I can possibly get, I try to get him back on the show just because I had such a great time talking with him the first time. And that's Garrett Graham. I love Garrett Graham. I love him to the point where I, t- I, I taped, I taped off cause I was a poor junior high kid. I remember taping off Bud the Chud. Oh yes. Off of Cinemax when my parents was, were asleep just cause I was like, Oh my God, Garrett, Garrett Graham's in it. 
He is so wonderful. And I, I wish that he had been on the Phantom of the Paradise episode, but I have talked to him a little bit about beef. And God, yeah, just so much fun to talk to. I mean, <laughs> the, the excuse I used to get him was... Uh, demon seed where he's in there for like what five minutes then his head pops off (laughs) but he was game for it and then you know we got to talk about uh, you know like uh used cars and his roles in star trek and just so many things he's just so great and i love that you know now we're doing a uh um a twilight zone 85 show and he and his writing partner wrote a bunch of episodes so it's like i am trying to be like hey let's get you back on the show and get you on dreams for sale and talk about these twilight zones Oh, that's so cool. Ooh, you know, the episode that probably nobody's asking for but me is we, we could do National Lampoon's Class Reunion. And my my other dream interview for that, though, would be if you could interview Blackie Dammit. Because that would be, that'd be amazing. I'm actually reading his biography right now, and uh, I'm surprised that dude's penis still works, because holy shit, he planted that seed everywhere. Too many cookies, huh? Oh my god, all the cookies. <laughs> all the cookies. But uh but Blackie Dan, it's I mean come on, it's great. He's in Nine Deaths of the Ninja, which is Ooh, I wow. love that movie. Nice. Love that movie. I've never seen it. Oh my god, Mike. <laughs> you have to you have to I, I just got a few words for you. Blackie Dammit as a Doctor Strange Love esque villain, an eyeliner, uh, with a pet monkey, and an accent that may be German? I don't know, but he's all like, you know, the past, the hostages will remain unharmed and there's like dancing in it. It's so good. Like it's ridiculous, but I love it. And he's, he's great. He looks like Thomas Dolby on a Coke bender and it. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I cannot give it higher praise than that. <laughs> you will address me as Mr. Brunt. That's one thing that always cracks me up is that people will talk to me and they'll be like, oh, well, you've seen all the movies or there's so many movies that you've seen. I'm just like, man, the one thing that this has taught me and that I've I've learned since I was a, a very young child is that there are so many fucking movies and there's no way <laughs> like I feel like I am right at the tip of the iceberg, you know, just occasionally we'll dive in a little deeper. But then I talk to like talk to you, I talk to Sam, I talk to Morris, I talk to Kat, and it's just like there's so many fucking movies out there. There's no way I'm ever gonna get deep on this thing. Oh god, no, same. I actually feel that way about myself all the time because um it's like a good problem to have though, because it means you'll never get bored. That's true. There's always like something new to explore. But um but yeah, no, there's just there's so much. That's why you'll never hear me refer to myself as like which I wouldn't anyways because it sounds pompous, but I'm, you know, I've never called myself like, oh, film expert or scholar or anything like that. I'm like, I'm a writer. <laughs> like, I'm a, film, I'm a film and music writer. <laughs> yeah, I'm a film fan more than I am a film scholar, definitely. If I was referring to myself a scholar, I would have to see way more films than I have. Oh, you'd need like a robe and lotion and all kinds of stuff if you're going to start calling yourself Whoa. a scholar. Yeah. A robe at, and lunch. at least a new chair, <laughs> if not anything else. <laughs> a throne. Yes. Nay, a throne. King in the castle. King in the castle. A box of Cubans and a a pet monkey named uh, Siegfried and you know we're good to go yeah one thing I've been really happy about is that so 
every March. Yeah, because it's Mike White March. Every March, Chris has asked me, Chris Stashius asked me to program the Culture Cast. So I've gotten to do a little bit of house cleaning with him, where it's like, hey, here are these movies that I've always wanted to see. Let's go ahead and do that for Mike White March, which is probably a little counter to what he would like. Like maybe he would want me to actually say, here are four great movies that I love and that we should talk about. But instead I'm just like, here's four movies or five movies that I've never seen. So let's roll the dice and take a gamble and see if these movies are any good. I I think sometimes it's fun to kind of do spontaneous episodes like that, or, or or what you were talking about earlier. Like when you do an episode on a film, you really don't have any knowledge about like i think sometimes that could be as as rewarding if not more so in some ways than covering something you're really familiar with yeah so this month so in march we are doing and there's not really that much of a theme to it it's basically foreign sci-fi from i can't even say just from the 80s because there's one from from 79 so it's just like semi-obscure foreign sci-fi so finally watching some konstantin lupashansky films uh a czech film i had never seen before one called uh bunker palace hotel this french sci-fi film i've never seen before so it's just like all right yep let's do it up chris so i'm hoping that he enjoys these movies i'm hoping i enjoy these movies because they've been on my watch list forever that's cool. I can't wait to listen. Chris is a great guy, so I'm always always happy to, to see his name pop up. And I always like that he is one of these adventurous co-hosts like yourself, where it's just like, yeah, I don't care. Put me on anything. I'll watch it. And let's check it out. As opposed to like, no, no, I only want to see these particular films. And I... <laughs> no, that'll come later when I get my robe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. My robe and my lotion. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I think that's fun. I mean, because the thing is, like, that's, you know, the whole thing about the great thing about film is film is a journey, you know, and so that's, you know, when you kind of literally can kind of make it a journey and and covering something new. um, That's cool. I mean, not everything's going to be a winner. Like, I've done articles where it's like, okay, I will write about this film. And um, sometimes it's great. Sometimes, like, I did a piece on some Joe Sarno films a few months ago. And, you know, one of them wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah, they can't but, all be But winners. that's okay. No, no, no. It was terrible, actually. It was beautifully shot. But um, if anybody's like, hey, let's watch Vampire Fantasies. I know the title sounds lurid, and you're like, you're probably like me, where you're like, ooh, saucy vampires in Europe. Hell yeah. No, don't. <laughs> Take it from Mama over here. Just say no. <laughs> unless you like phalluses that are literally i'm like there's no way her womb is going to exist after this like this is like ridiculous but um but but that's but that's all part of the journey you know like that's um sometimes i think there's a merit to watching stuff you don't always like i'm not saying i want to talk about forrest gump anytime soon no thank you i that's a hard no for me that's a very hard note for me, unless it's the unless it's the work print where everybody blows up at the end, like seats of me. <laughs> they got blowed up real good. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like life is like a box of poo, you know. Just, it's like it ends up turning into like Zabriskie Point. <laughs> All those great, those great Pink Floyd music and shrimp are flying in the air in slow mo. Well, I think a lot of people would call Forrest Gump a letdown. I know I would. Uh, but Ooh, nice segue, that, Heather. 
Nice segue. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Zach's <laughs> last last question for you is who, uh, as far as interviews go, who was the letdown? Well, I think the most notorious uh, interview we've ever done on the show was with Alan Barron. So that was definitely a letdown that he was so combative when it came to his interview. If folks haven't listened to the Blast of Silence episode, first off, Blast of Silence is a fucking amazing movie and you need to see it right now. And then after that, you need to listen to the episode so you can hear me get just, I, I believe the proper term is red to filth. So <laughs> it the is. The library was open that day. Oh, oh girl. It was all, all, all tea and all shade the whole time. <laughs> So, yeah, that's one. But the bigger letdowns for me were the episodes. Some of the episodes were letdowns when it was just, it wasn't necessarily the people that I was talking to, but it was more like when I would have, uh, and usually during the early, I'll just call a spade a spade. A lot of the Justin episodes were kind of a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> because there would be movies where I'd be really super excited about watching a movie and talking about a movie. And then he would just come in and be like, yeah, I didn't like it. And rather than like having a discussion, be like, yeah, no, it sucked. I was like, come on. No, like spook who sat by the door. That's a fucking amazing movie. High and low by fucking Kurosawa. That's a great movie. And it's like to the point where I almost want to redo some of these episodes where it's just like, let's get somebody who on who's actually excited to talk about these movies or who can have a better argument than no, it wasn't any good. Yeah. How could, how could you not have anything to say about anything tied to both Kurosawa and, I mean, Spook is set by the door. That's based on a Chester Himes novel, right? Uh, no, it was Sam Greenlee, I believe. Damn, I got my authors wrong. It's okay. Oh, see, my, that's why I'll never get the robe. <laughs> you just blew yes. your rondo right there. God damn it. I'll report to the rondo committee immediately via email. I, I still don't know how my name slithered in there to begin with. <laughs> I figured I was like Rondo Kryptonite. <laughs> I mean, because I used to write for, like, when I wrote for Video Watchdog, which they love that magazine. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, nothing nominated, <laughs> it, which was fine. Whatever. I don't I don't seek out validation uh, through those means. But um, Well, they treated you, know, you like the ugly stepsister in that magazine, though, too. <laughs> probably yeah but uh but it planted good seeds actually i remember uh brad St or brad stevens who you know is a great film writer and has written the definitive book on abel ferrara's work you know brad actually uh remembered reading me in that and so uh, we're friends now actually john skip who i wrote the bizarro encyclopedia film volume one with now available via Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Word on the street is that book's amazing. <laughs> and and there's a chapter on Phantom of the Paradise, just saying. So if you love Garrett Graham. And we do. Book. We love Who Garrett Graham around here. Yes. Who Everybody should love Garrett Graham. I wouldn't trust somebody. If they were like, I don't like him, I, I would actually judge their opinion on that. I'm not proud of that, Mike. I should be more evolved. But... It is what it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm only human. I think I'm there with you. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I don't. And again, it's not to shit talk Justin or anybody, but I don't know. My thing is like, if I have a strong opinion on something, I can tell you why too. Like if I don't like something, I can give you specifics. <laughs> 
Well, and you can also have like a cogent argument about something where it's just like, oh, well, you know, I found this to be a little much, but, you know, this was okay or da-da-da-da-da, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, and both of those, I mean, the books were fantastic, the movies were fantastic, so I don't know. I just, I love both those movies so much. And there were a couple along those lines. Like, there are some where it's just like, okay, I can see people not loving shock treatment, but come on, that's a lot I of love, fun. Yeah, I love that movie. And that's actually, that one's on my list. I've always wanted to do like a big in-depth piece on it. Because that's a, a huge film for me. I absolutely love Shock Treatment. That That is one I could talk about till the cows come home, because I have a lot to say about it. I love it. And also Cliff DeYoung. Why Why wasn't he, like, why isn't he was ever, like, a bigger star? Like, I he's know. always been a good working actor. Like, he's always gotten work. But, like, Cliff DeYoung, especially in that movie... He's Come so on. good. Yeah. That's another um, one. Rob Hubbard actually wrote an article for cashiers years and years ago about um, shock treatment. And I highly recommend that article if people can track it down. Um, right now, the cashiers to cinema website is down because I don't know PHP 7.2. And uh, apparently I need to now because it doesn't use the same commands as PHP 5.4 and under, which is the version that I know. So now I have a little challenge. Now I have to learn a new version of PHP so I can get my website to work again. See, I, don't you hate it when things get updated, yeah. but they update the updates in fact, aren't helpful and in fact, more harmful. <laughs> yeah. Not backwards compatible. Yeah. Like, thanks guys. <laughs> yes. It's not compatible with my system. I actually learned this is, I know, um, a term that uh, in the early 80s that uh, like multiplexes were also called referred to as tunnel theaters. Hmm. I've never heard that before. I hadn't either. So the more the more we all know. It looks like we have one more. Well, we have one more questioner with a trilogy of questions. Did I tell people they could ask more than one question? I guess I did. It's okay. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, this is from Spencer Seams. And uh, his first question is he's wanting to know uh, are you planning on covering African films? Well, you know, little known fact, Heather, they actually don't make films in Africa. I don't know if you knew that or not, because uh, it's a bunch of shithole countries over there. Oh my God. <laughs> Robert, Robert Wool, is that you? <laughs> I thought you were going to say because they're made out of Africa. Oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. So I, I believe I had had a conversation with Spencer either earlier this year or last year. It must have been last year. And he gave me some recommendations. So of those, I managed to put one on the list for 2020. And that is a movie called Crumbs. So I'll be doing at least one African film this year. I was planning on doing a whole month of them, but then I ended up doing a whole month of Cinema Novo films. So I'll be going south of the border and going to Brazil talking about all of these Cinema Novo titles. And next year, I hope to do a whole month of uh, African titles. Oh, that'll be great. Also, recently we did uh, an episode on an Argentinian film. And they had a huge film industry in Argentina, which we found out. So I'm sure we'll be able to do some more Argentinian films after that. Absolutely. Ooh, we should do Feast of Flesh. Ooh, there you go. That's one of my favorites. Nice. Yeah. 
Um, Spencer also wants to know, what are some of your favorite recent films? Oh, geez. Um, you know, they just don't make films like they used to, like Gone with the Wind. So... <laughs> I know. It's like they literally haven't made a film like that since 1939. I know, right? It's been kind of crazy. So there's a lot of films that I still want to see. Like, I haven't seen Color Out of Space. Um, I did see Midsommar, but I wasn't that huge of a fan. Um, Yeah. I'm looking at my Letterboxd profile right now, which is a hilarious thing because it is almost completely movies from 1969 for some reason. I don't know how that could be. (laughs) That's kind of, I hate it when people ask me that question too, because it always makes me feel like kind of a bit of a fogey. Cause I'm like, um, when you say recent is like 82. Okay. (laughs) Right. How many years ago? Uh, I I did see, um, it's a Netflix movie, but the, my name is Dolomite, the Eddie Murphy. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That was awesome. I loved that. That was completely just, I knew it was going to be good because actually I'm friends with um, Mark Murray, who's uh, uh, Rudy Ray Moore's biographer and was worked as a historic consultant on that movie. Mark's a great guy. He knows his shit, but um, oh, that movie was great. I loved it. I got my panties in a twist about that one, though, because they were showing things from the human tornado and kind of passing them off that they were part of dolomite and i was like no 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 you ha- this is human tornado human tornado to me is the superior film and you can't just lump it in with that but whatever i know yeah i, I noticed that too and human tornado is like oh my god i mean <laughs> jean-luc godard could hope to make a film as good as human tornado i i would much rather watch human tornado than breathless oh I fuck yeah it. Yeah, I like it said it. I don't like Breathless, so there's my art house hot take. I do. I did like a woman as a woman, though. Like I like I like some Godard, but yeah, no. He, I like he her her life to live. I think that's pretty good. But yeah, I'm I'm much more for uh, give me the the cinema of uh, Cliff uh, Rockmore over Godard, please. I think one of my favorite parts is that scene in Human Tornado when he he jumps off the roof. Oh, and, and fuck the yes. Pops, and he's like, hey, did y'all see that shit? <laughs> Let's see it again. And the film spools backwards. So good. <laughs> oh, God. That, and plus, it gave, gave the greatest phrase ever. Bitch, are you real? One thing I did like about the biopic was um, when they're in the theater watching, oh, God, what was that 70s? The front page. But that, that blonde lady's like shushing that guy. And he's like, don't you shush me. Sandy Duncan. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed so hard. I was like, oh my God. He just called that woman Sandy Duncan. But yeah, no, that makes me feel better, Mike, that you kind of have the same problem though. Cause I, there's, I just don't, it's not that I don't, I'm sure neither one of us, you know, we're not the kind of people who are like, oh, everything sucks now. It's not like that. It's just, you know, sometimes just like between what you're working on with film writing and podcasting, tied also kind of sometimes where the wind takes you. And a lot of times where the wind takes you isn't just like this tight list of new films. I do want to see Color Out of Space, though. That looks great. I love Richard Stanley. Uh, Hardware is another film. Why isn't that in print? Like that that's not currently in print right now. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's wild. I was, 
yeah, like, where, where is, we need a fancy pants special edition Blu-ray of that. Yeah, the fancier the pants, the better. Give me all the fancy pants. And also, I know two people who do great commentary on it. Mm-hmm. I think Second. one of those people wrote a book called the Bizarro Film Encyclopedia. <laughs> Well, John Skip's awesome, but I was talking about me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's because especially people be like, oh, you got to see this film. And I'm like, eh, do I? Do I do I need to see Midsummer? Some are. I was very lucky that I got to be on a plane ride recently because then I got to see things from the last like three years. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'm like catching up with like the farewell and going back to like even Ocean's Eight and stuff, the Peanut Butter Falcon. I was like, okay, but I I'm gonna piss people off when I say this, but I think my favorite movie of last year wasn't Parasite. It was Avengers Endgame. I really, I just get into these Marvel movies and I really loved Endgame and I fucking nerded out like a little kid. Just some of those scenes. I was just like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I'm here for. Like when all those portals start opening at the end and I'm sure you don't know what I'm talking about, Heather, because you don't strike me as an Endgame fan, but when those portals start opening and you hear Sam say on your left, fucking burst out crying like a little girl it was just it was sad i'm because i'm a 47 year old man and i'm just so in love with the avengers i don't think there's anything sad i think you know i think whatever makes you happy that's the thing is that um the main thing that anything that has to any piece of film has to do it has to engage you in some ways and different films engage us on different levels and for different reasons i don't think there's anything wrong i mean i'm not really big into the superhero thing like the closest my favorite superhero films probably the like watchman or return of captain invincible oh hell yeah because come on that alan arkin yes christopher Christopher lee Lee, right yeah singing about booze that's literally a sexual fantasy of mine that nobody needed to know about (laughs) the truth comes out on ego fest nine that's right after dark ego uh, fest after dark after dark. But, uh, <laughs> Last time I had one of those, I had to watch it scrambled on on a high number cable channel. Like, is that an elbow or a butt? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm not going to shit on anybody's parade. Like, if something makes you happy and makes you feel that good and vibrant, I think that's I think that's legit awesome. Like, maybe you could tell that to Marty Scorsese. Okay, <laughs> you canceled Marty. <laughs> I could never cancel Marty. I can't no. even joke about that. No. I love Taxi Driver too much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, imagine if Avengers Endgame had a character like Marty Scorsese's <laughs> from Taxi Driver in it. You see that, that you scree see. up there? You see that scree? <laughs> <laughs> that's my wife. You know you know who's up there with her? That's a, that's a crawl up there with her. You know that? <laughs> yeah, side note. I always wondered if uh, Robert De Niro patterned how his character looked in Angel Heart off of Scorsese and Taxi Driver. Oh, I can see that. Nice. They look similar to me. Oh, I, yeah. Well, other than the nails, I don't think Scorsese had those creepy egg nails. I don't know what you call them. They were good for cracking eggs. Yeah, that's for sure. Oh, God. Ugh. <laughs> but no, no, I think that's a lot of people. My my husband watches a lot of the superhero stuff, so no, no judgment. All right. All right. But um, if you love Forrest Gump, though, I will judge you. 
in all seriousness, though, I really did like Parasite quite a bit. And especially after reading more about it, there was a great article um, that uh, Jane Gutter, a.k.a. Carol Borden from the Cultural Gutter that she posted. And it went into so many of the actual things that the movie was referencing in Korea, talking about like half basement apartments and all these things. And it was just like, Oh wow. It really made me appreciate the movie even more because there's certain things that you can come into the movie with, but then it being from a totally different culture, having those things explained to you in a non pedantic way, I was just like, Oh, okay. This makes me appreciate things even more. But see, don't you think you would have enjoyed that movie more if uh, it had been made by SAG members, Mike? I really i am looking forward to when they dub it into English, because I just can't stand these subtitles. See, anybody that's like, I hate subtitles, I prefer dubbing. Make them watch an old Gamera movie where the Kennys are dubbed, and you'll be clawing your eyes out. Because, like, Kennys in their natural language are bad enough, but dubbed Kennys are the worst Kennys. And that's a fucking fact. What's this? A dart. You come back too. Good day, Condo. Idiot, don't say Condo. Say good day, officer. It's all right, young lady. My name is Condo. But see here, two of you kids shouldn't ride on one bike. I'm sorry, but I'm in a hurry. You're in a hurry? This time of day? Ah, it means you kids are up to mischief, I understand. No, we aren't. We're out here looking for a spaceship. <laughs> you are? Mm-hmm. Ah, you're joking. No, we saw the ship land here. It's true. It came down last night. I see, I see, I see. Yes, but if you're naughty, you know what I'm going to do with you two mischief makers? I'm going to shave your heads. <laughs> yes, it's true. Here, don't forget this. We do have one more question, Mike. The final one. The final one. It's the final countdown. After that, you can't ask me any questions, Heather. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm I'm lying. I'm lying. You can ask me anything you want. (laughs) I will get to my question about your throne in a second. Okay. But Spencer wants to know, what are some of your favorite movie screening experiences? Okay, so this story I have told before, but I'll tell it again, just uh, for shits and giggles. My One of my very favorite screening experiences had nothing to do with the audience, nothing to do with the theater, had everything to do with expectations and having them subverted. And this is the reason why I don't like previews or trailers because when i went in i was asked to go to a screening with uh by a friend of mine um sean von hoffman he asked me to go to i believe it was uh, a distributor screening so way before the press gets a chance to see a movie distributors will get a chance to see it and figure out like do we want this in our theaters and i went into this movie this coen brothers movie and this character, Norville Barnes, just keeps showing this little circle drawing that he has in his shoe. And he just keeps saying, you know, for kids. And I had no idea what it was. I just thought that he was a crazy person. So when they get to the moment, spoilers for Hudsucker Proxy, I don't know how many fucking years ago that was. But when they get to the moment where he reveals that he has been carrying around the plans for a hula hoop in his shoe this whole time. 
my jaw hit the floor. I was tickled pink watching that and seeing that and not knowing what the fuck that was. Now, had I seen a trailer, I would have been eh, still delighted by that movie, but I wouldn't have had that shock of surprise and just the delight that came with it. And I wish that I had that ability to see so many more movies without knowing what the twists were or being able to figure them out. I am very anti-preview so much because I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of like, you know, super genius or something like Wiley Coyote, but you show me two, three scenes from a film or shots from a film, I'm going to try to figure out what order they're in and how the story is going to be told. So keep that shit away from me. That is an awesome story, by the way. That That's the first time I think I've heard it. No, I love a good trailer, but I, I hate the way I feel like trailers, the way they're cut now, um, are just they they do give they give way too much away. And that's the thing is like that it's the old Carney saying that you sell the sizzle, not the steak. Right. And they're selling they're selling too much steak. Like and now granted, in fairness, like I've seen some old trailers where they did the same thing in different ways, obviously, but where it's like, Jesus, I just saw the whole movie. Why do I even need to go see this movie? Like you've literally given me the whole movie in this trailer. Um so I wish there was like more of a, there, there can be a great subtle art to cutting a trailer that doesn't give anything away, but gives you a flavor of what's to come. Uh, but boy, that's, yeah, now it's, it's all steak, no sizzle. And going back to the Marvel movies, I mean, they are, they are great at marketing stuff, but I will not watch their trailers because they have, they're doing the same things that too many other studios are doing. And I think Disney especially is just completely guilty of this. The, teaser for the trailer the first trailer the second trailer and the third trailer where it just keeps coming out like every three months they'll have a new trailer and it's just like by the end of that last trailer you know everything that's going to happen and then if you have shots in the trailer that aren't in the movie people go fucking crazy and they start accusing you of bait and switch (laughs) it's just like come on guys like there's no way rogue one was going to be a good movie no matter what shots were in the trailer i'm sorry but mike (laughs) they had a tie fighter at the end of that thing that she was walking on blah 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 so how about you, Heather? What are some of your favorite screening experiences? Ooh, you know, that's uh, I don't think I've had as as many as the as, as you you've had some amazing ones. Uh, but I would say the one of the first ones that comes to my mind actually was uh, Hordorowski's Dune. It actually played here, which I live in Arkansas, and so I played here for like I think a minute. <laughs> it did not. It was a miracle it even came down here. But uh, my husband and I saw it, and it was an afternoon matinee. We were literally the only people in the theater, which was sad. But it meant I could be as loud as I wanted to, so I was just ebullient. And I got to be free with my bullying. So when Hororowski is talking about, like, I'm raping Frank Herbert, I'm raping the bride, and I'm like, yes! And I'm like, I wouldn't do that in front of other people, because they'd be like, what, woman? (laughs) It's like, it's metaphorical. Anybody's going to be, like, trying to meet to Hororowski. It's metaphorical rape. He's not literally going to dig up the corpse of Frank Herbert (laughs) and rape of the bride. Okay. But um, also, when I got to go to New York and see uh, at the Lincoln Center, when I got to see uh, Andre Zulowski's On the Silver Globe, that was um, that was like a religious experience. That was awesome. 
so those those are the two oddly enough this is kind of like not a film that i would be people probably wouldn't expect you to bring up but i i remember going to see with some friends uh the first pirates of the caribbean movie opening night and that was awesome because it was a packed house and everybody enjoyed it like it was just the 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 good not to sound like a hippie but like it was just such a good vibe like everybody just was having a blast with it and i think when you get to sit in a packed theater and everybody's on the same page oh yeah with the film that there's an energy to that that's just so cool and um and just so much fun so normally andrea and i don't do too many double features but we we went to see the first gi joe movie which is a piece of shit. And then we went <laughs> right from that into Pirates of the Caribbean. So Pirates of the Caribbean 1, I stand by that completely and say that it's a great film. I have a lot of fun watching that movie. But it was made so much better by <laughs> by seeing this piece of shit G.I. <laughs> Joe movie before we went in. Uh, it just made the the world a better place. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, another one was when Chuck and I did, we did a date night and saw Jackass 3D. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, when we went to see the first Jackass, we had a great time. Oh, my God. Uh, it's, I love, which I love Jackass. I even love, like, the associated shows, like Beaver La Bam and the whole CKY stuff. But, um, no, we were literally the only adults, I think, in the theater. It was like us and a bunch of teenage boys who had suckered their girlfriends <laughs> into going, which this is the third one. So I'm kind of like, the girls were very grossed out. But it's like, it's the, it's jackass. What right. did you expect? Like, but it was great because, uh, you know, just be a, a collective choir of, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we so we had a friend in town, Dion, who was on the uh, um, Raw Talent episode, and he was like, oh, I love Jackass. We should go see the Jackass movie. And I was like, well, you know, and after I adjusted my monocle and looked down my nose at him, (laughs) I was like, I'm not into such base entertainment. But we ended up going and we saw it at a dollar theater. The film, it was still being shown on film. The film broke. And, or was it just a digital malfunction? I don't remember, but, um, I do remember one dude just like immediately getting on his phone and talking super loudly to some friend of his, just like, yeah, I'm in the jackass movie. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I had so much fun with that first one. It was amazing. Oh God! Yeah, no, the first the first one's great. When fucking Rip Taylor shows up at the end, I just I lost my yes. shit. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh God! Oh, another another screening that was a lot of fun uh, was when we saw Pacific Rim. Oh, nice! Yes. I really like that movie. Oh, it did too. Well, we saw it in 3D. That was another 3D one, Ooh, nice. and that like total kaiju boner. Oh moment. yeah! Oh my God! That was. Oh, I'm sure that Chuck had a bruise on his arm because I kept being like, oh, my God, honey. <laughs> he gets the elbow and you're like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Because uh, uh, we both love kaijus in general. We love the big monster movies. And um, so uh, that one that one was definitely just uh, so much fun. 
I, I loved having Clifton Collin Jr. in there. He is so much fun to watch and just, yeah, that, the, we are canceling the apocalypse speech. I was just like, fuck yes. Sign me up, man. I am there with you right now, Idris. <laughs> I am so aboard this movie. Well, and plus they had Charlie Day. And oh, I love, yes. I love Charlie Day. I'm a huge It's Always Sunny fan. And, um, and he's just, Charlie Day's great. And I loved, uh, I'm gonna, God, I hope, I'm gonna screw up his name. Is it Gord Berman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who was like the, the guy that was with Charlie Day? He was totally doing a Jeffrey Combs to me. No wonder I loved him because I love Jeffrey Combs. Come on. Jeffrey Combs should be in everything. And Anthony James. <laughs> Somebody make that body cop movie right now. I want the buddy cop movie of Jeffrey Combs and Anthony James right now. <laughs> I know the second one wasn't very good, but I did have fun with it, especially when Charlie Day was speaking uh, Chinese, speaking Mandarin, and I could actually understand what he was trying to say. And then when the woman was just like ripping on him for how horrible his Mandarin was, I was laughing quite a bit. Uh, see, I, I haven't seen the second one. Uh, I wouldn't rush out to see it, but, uh, yeah, I just, I wouldn't rush out to see it. <laughs> it's better than G.I. Joe, though, right? Uh, well, the second G.I. Joe was way better than the first G.I. Joe. The second Pacific Rim, not as good as the first Pacific Rim. Uh, yeah. Well, you gotta have Del Toro. That's the thing. You yeah. gotta have Guillermo Del Toro. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely do. And he's another director where it's just like, man, give this guy all the money. Just let him work continuously and do whatever comes into his mind because I want to see it. Even if it's like a misfire, his misfires are better than other people's passion projects. Absolutely. No, that man, I, I love him. And plus, he is a big champion of one of my favorite films ever, which is Ken Russell's The Devils, which yes. is another film that is languishing. Uh, and not in any kind of co- like currently legal mm. format in this country. It's ridiculous. Ugh, so wrong. So that that would definitely be a big episode for me if I did a show. You know what grinds my gears? <laughs> All right, Peter Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> that is the last of our questions. So with that, let's move on to the thanking of our Patreon people, our new patrons who have joined up since the last Ego Fest. So like I said, not that many, and actually some very familiar names on this list, which makes me very happy, especially ones that I can pronounce without having too much trouble. So with that, Kelsey Sorensen, Andrew Hendrickson, Dylan Davis, Robin Smith, K.L. Young, Christopher Fitzpatrick, Rune Jacobson, Shadan Bott, hope I pronounced that right, Susan White, Susan White, who was a professor of mine when I went to U of M, uh, and she's actually been on the show several times, so she shouldn't be contributing because she's already contributed so much to the show, but thank you, Susan. Same goes for Lutz Backer, who was just on an episode that we did. Well, actually, he was on, I think he was on three episodes last year. He was on The Reckless Moment, and he was on two episodes that we did about Ernst Lubitsch films. Oh, super cool. That's awesome. Also, thanks to Monica Sheets. See again, Colin Gallagher. Guy's been on the show 
several times. Gonna have him on some more, but yeah, he's giving me money. The guy's going to, he's like doing classes and stuff. He's like not necessarily a poor student, but he basically is, so he shouldn't be giving me money. And last but not least, Leon McShanig. So thank you so much to all the new Patreon people. You are what helps make the show go. Yes, they, thank you, everybody. And thank you, anybody. Just, you know, sometimes you support us just by listening and downloading. And, you know, and of course, any of the feedback you give us that we haven't vented about on this particular episode. Thank you so much. And you did mention sharing before and sharing is a big part of it because there's a lot of people out there that might enjoy the show. And they might hate it with, you know, like poison, but there's some people that might like the show and they just have never heard of it before. Cause we're not about to be making any sort of like vulture.com or forbes.com or any of these.com type lists of best movie podcasts, because we don't have the power of like, uh, you know, Earwolf or any of these other bigger companies behind us because, the, you might not know this, Heather, but the projection booth is made by one guy sitting in his basement. I'm not like collecting royalties from anybody <laughs> on this stuff. So yeah, we sell sponsorship through Spreaker, but I, I told Andrea how much money I made from podcasting last year. And when she was done laughing, she told me to go back downstairs. Oh, oh, God. That's so sad. Oh, God. But you do it for the love, and you do it so that people might enjoy it. It's always nice. And it's always nice getting feedback and stuff, and not just from, you know, patrons and all that, you know, monetary feedback, but actual, like, real feedback and, like, hey, you should listen to this show, or hey, good job, Projection Booth, or hey, I listened to this episode. It was pretty cool, or whatever. So that's always appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because I find, um, I, I use this analogy a lot for writing, but, um, but like sometimes when you put something out, it's a kind of a bit like putting a message in a bottle. Like, and so when you do get that feedback, it's, it's awesome because it lets you know, like, yeah, somebody, you know, there are people that, that, you know, are listening and reading. And that's, you know, that's always, it's always so good to know, you know, like we, we do it for the love, but yeah, you know, like anything you create, it's, it's good to know that it's getting, it's actually getting out there to people. So we, we definitely appreciate all of you. Did you know that I've started a new podcast within the, within the last month? No, what is it? It is called The Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller. Have you seen that on my feed? Oh my god, okay, I have. I have. This, okay, this is the title alone. has sold, No, it sold me. I'm so rusty on Barney Miller, though. Chuck, my husband, though, is a big Barney Miller fan. I don't know if you know that. I did not know that. Yes. So far, we've put out one episode, and so far, 28 people have listened to that episode. <laughs> But you know what? That's 27 more people that have listened to somebody else's podcast. That's true. (laughs) That's always how I look at it. Because that's, you know, anytime I I start getting down on myself, because I've had, I've, you know, there's been times where I've posted some dumb status on Facebook that's a complete, just ridiculous, that will get more likes and comments than like an article, like, like, like doing the rocket files. Right. Where it takes so much research time and tracking down all this stuff, writing all this stuff, perfecting it, rewriting it. And then you say something stupid on Facebook and it's just like, yeah, you go girl. <laughs> and it's like, which I mean, appreciate, you know, again, it's like, you know, I'm not bitching, but you know, it's, um, uh, 
but when I do that, I also remind myself there are people that, you know, are, they'll put out an article and they may get like one or two people and that's it if they get that. You know, so it's a uh, life I find is all about perspective. So and it's only the first episode, you know, it's like anything, the more you put out there. Well, once we land Hal Linden, then it's, it's going to be nothing but, you know, fame and fortune and riches just pouring from the ceiling. Well, and you better be careful because once you get the Linden on there, the women start ovulating <laughs> and become more fertile. <laughs> Cows start mysteriously giving immaculate birth. Dogs and cats start sleeping together. It's insanity. It's straight up insanity. So you better be ready. <laughs> this, the potency of the Linden is legendary, sir. So I'm also, I've been burying the lead. So um, the other thing I really wanted to talk about, I, that was, I think, all the way at the top of the notes, but I decided to jump into... Uh, <laughs> Talking about rondos <laughs> way too early. <laughs> but I'm actually going to be doing some traveling in April, uh, right around the time of my birthday. And uh, I'm really hoping that we can get some folks out uh, so I can, uh, you know, press the flesh, eat the cookies, do whatever it needs to be done so that folks will come out and see uh, Skiz Sizzik's Ice Pick to the Moon, which he took, speaking of uh, delayed gratification, 20 years to put this documentary together like i think i've known skiz for 22 years and he has been working on this pretty much the entire time that i've known him man god he's got he's got to be feeling like the proudest papa right now he should though at the same time he's not you know selling out every venue and he doesn't have distributors knocking down his door but he should be very proud because it's a fucking fantastic film. And if folks don't know about Fred Lane, well, watch this movie and you will definitely know about Fred. And my God, he is, it is so good. He, it's one of those where it's like, if he, if I didn't know Skiz, I would still say this is a good movie. Well, see, there you go. I want to, I want to check this out. And, um, for anybody that's going to be in the area, do you uh, do you have some venues listed? I do. So Saturday, April fourth at one p.m. and I should say twenty twenty because I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was probably from like two years ago. <laughs> wasn't one of mine. It was another one, and it was just like this offer ends December twenty fifth, and I was like, yeah, what year though? I was like Kyle Reese. What year? So Saturday, April fourth, twenty twenty at one p.m. I will be at. The Venue on Winnebago, and that's the name of the places, The Venue on Winnebago, which is in Madison, Wisconsin. And the next day, Sunday, April 5th, 2020, at 2 p.m., and these are central times, which you're familiar with, Heather, I will be at The Empty Bottle on Western Avenue in Chicago. And that'll be me, Skiz, and Jen there for all these screenings i will just be sitting in the back uh laughing inappropriately loud because that's kind of my shtick you know talk about uh in, inappropriate laughter and and talk about not the best screening experiences um did i ever tell you about the time i got threatened in swordfish oh my god <laughs> no <laughs> so so i went to see swordfish with my friend mike thompson who's been on the show a few times he was on the mad max episode and the highlander episode the whole thing is like hugh jackman 
falling in love with Halle Berry and trying all of these things to like save her and all this kind of stuff. And at one point, John Travolta just pulls out a gun and fucking shoots her right in the chest. And it struck me very funny just because it was like so unceremonious and just because Hugh Jackman had been trying so hard to keep her out of danger. So I laughed in my very horsey laugh, which I cut out of most of the episodes. If I can, I always try to eliminate my own laughter, laughed very loudly. And this guy behind me says, you better hope that she survives this movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's real, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Guess that was very wrong to laugh at Halle Berry's fake death. And spoilers for Swordfish, she comes back at the end. So I didn't get beat up in the parking lot. Well, thank goodness. Yes. That's- that is hilarious. Yeah, I'm actually jealous. That's way better than the time that uh, at a, I was taking an American film class in college, and we watched we watched Blue Velvet. And it was a very small class, and in the class, like most of it, were like kind of sheltered small town kids. Oh lord! That I think thought it'd be a fun elective to take, and then like me and two film bros who would not talk to me. I don't know if it was because I was a woman or because I'm just a weirdo. But anytime I tried to be like, oh, cool, like two other people that are into film, I tried to talk with them and they'd be like, uh, and look real nervous and leave. So <laughs> I don't, whatever. But, um, but the part where he goes like, you know, what you drinking? And he's like, Heineken, Heineken, fuck that shit. I laughed out loud. I guffawed because it's funny. I'm sorry. It's funny. But, you know, David Lynch if you don't get it, you don't get it. And I think you would have thought I laughed during like snuff film footage or something. <laughs> like some of those kids were, they were, they probably thought I was even weirder. Whatever. It's funny. I make no apologies. <laughs> I think we have given our listeners and uh, hopefully you guys feel the same way. We've given you guys a veritable buffet. I'm not looking forward to editing this episode. I just run it as is. Oh, I fucked up way too many times. I hide all the mistakes I possibly can. I don't blame you if I had to edit myself. <laughs> all those times where I was trying to come up with a name and couldn't come up with a name. And yeah, you know, I want to sound like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. That's that's understandable. But I mean, I think you do. That's the thing. We're human. And I, I anybody that says they know everything like that, don't trust them. They're full of shit. Like nobody, no human being, right? Like, unless they're just psychotic. <laughs> that's my excuse. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Works for me. Well, Heather, thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to uh, the listener that voted me in to be on this episode you know who you are we love you and thank you heather's doing the the fingers to the eyes and then like back to you kind of thing but with love i'm looking at you i'm looking right there i see you but doing it with love it's less more love less like i'm I'm in a dark alley yeah no no menace zero menace
I have a pen. I have an apple. Uh, apple pen. I have a pen. I have pineapple. Uh, pineapple pen. Apple pen. Pineapple pen. Uh, pen pineapple apple pen. Pen pineapple apple pen. If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.